This podcast is for mature audiences only and may include cussing, cursing, fidgeting, rambling, insensitive or irreverent material, slurs, catchphrases, expressions, lamentations, and or degradations that aren't suitable for young folk. Also, we'll be talking about the reefer. That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to the Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers that toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, Fire Emblem gets a cardboard rendition, Dan's been skinning, slaying, and stitching, we're ogling into the breach, and call the weatherman, because Andy is declaring a risk of rain. Vermont gyrates about weed smoke, Sony talks first party, your joint stops canoeing, and we'll also be settling in for a smoke sesh with our strain and our munchie of the week. So stick around for that, because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy. And with me, as always, the one, the only, the smelling slightly of cinnamon and cloves, Dank Dan. Lighters, blunts, podcast. Oh, you're like a modern day Steven Spielberg. Yes, very much like our own con- contemporary modern day Steven Spielberg. <laughs> I guess he's still around, still doing things in, this, in the world of film. I mean, yeah, freshly producing films as we speak. Unless I know something that uh, he don't. Hey, Stevie. Hey, Stevie. Damn it. He, you slid it on me. We know what you're doing, Steve. Hey, Steve. Or should I say Cyborg Steve? Cyborg Steve. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, I look forward to the near future where everyone who's rich enough to afford like a cybernetic self um, when they you know, have run out of room, run out of runway for their body is able to do so. I think that it's going to make for a really healthy world and economy. I look forward to the near future when I can afford two-ply toilet paper. I'm talking two-plies. Two-plies, baby. Throw it down. A little mac and cheese, a little two-ply. Suddenly, you're living the high life. Boom. Top of the heap. Top of the heap. I actually think that that, uh, just going back to the whole um, replacing your human skin with like uh, a replacement uh, is, is the theme of that new Netflix show. It's called Carbon something or other. It's called Altered Carbon. Altered car. It's a really interesting premise because it's it's probably not that far off, you know. They got they got Skarsgård to get in that one. Did you did you see? Have you seen it at all? Uh, Skarsgård sounds like a town in The Witcher. What are we talking about? Yeah, good call. He is like uh, Finlandish or or something near there. Sorry for not being exact on that, but uh, Alexander Skarsgård or one of the other Skarsgård. He was uh one of the vampires in True Blood, the sexiest vampire. I'll leave that up oh, to you to decide. Was, sorry, was he was that the was that the southern gentleman? I feel like you're not even trying. Uh, I pro- said the se- I said the sexiest, didn't I? Yeah, I feel like the sexiest was the southern gentleman. He had this quiet countenance. He was uh, he was a stand-up man. It was that whole republic's uh, uh, ooh, not republic, whatever. Uh, whatever soldier confederate confederate that's the that's the jam i it turns out that you and i both have a type 
<laughs> no, he was like the the like uh, death metal, like Swedish, Finnish, blonde, tall, slight looking man. Nice. Okay. I, I think his name was Eric. Yeah, Eric. He looked like a real tweaker. If you want to, like, it's funny. They lulled us and tricked us into watching some True Blood. It was a pretty good show for a little while. By they, um, you mean our, but, our our female counterparts. That's right. But it's like they showed us Twilight first, to which I was like, maybe Blade is going to make a guest appearance and just fix up this whole situation. That never he never does. Not and obvious. then after, they show you True Blood, and you're like... Oh, okay, I can work with this. I can yeah. definitely work with this. That's the sell. The challenge is, is that I ended up liking Twilight more than I liked True Blood. True Blood just mm. like dragged on and there was mm. like, ah, just, ah, I don't know. Twilight, listen, well, man, it's a heartwarming tale of adolescence. Like, that's what it is. At the end of the day, you take away the vampires, you take away the werewolves. There was a lot of cheesy hearts out there in the world of adolescence. And sometimes it's nice to revisit that, even though it does feel kind of icky and weird. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sarah, plain and tall, the main character, is really accessible to anyone. She doesn't feel like she's out of reach. So you're a mortal vampire, elderly, boy-looking man may show up and whisk you away to a beautiful, picturesque Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, it's not Seattle, it's Oregon. Uh, I think it's Washington. Uh, who knows? Really? It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, listen, man, Twilight had its moments and I got to tell you, here's, here's my, here's my one thing that I will say. Never read the yeah. books, obviously, cause what the fuck, but, um, okay. definitely saw the movies with, uh, with, with the wife. And, um, okay. I will say that the, the overture to that series is fucking haunting, hauntingly beautiful. In fact, I'm going to just go out on a limb and say it's one of my favorite movie overtures of all time. And I mean, that's a pretty crazy thing to say about twilight but it's very good i can't i can't conjure the swell of music you're referring to yeah i won't play it uh, with i'm, a, I'm offended piano. that you went for it i'm really offended that you went for it yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna mouth organ uh that all over the place um it'll be the first thing you turn down mouth organing um always the last thing to turn down i'll put my mouth just about anywhere and just about anywhere trust me your mic is aware of that oh man too many too many jokes um we've 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 got a rough start here it's been a rough open it's like it's like when you pull out of your driveway and there's still six inches of ice on the curb but you didn't know and so the bottom of your car goes and you're like oh that can't be that i just knocked six months worth of driving off of this beauty yeah, I mean, we're straight men, not that we make any great case for it on the opening here. <laughs> Listen, man, there's a Kinsey score for everybody, you know what I'm saying? What? what? Kinsey? What's you know, that reference? Kinsey's the guy who's like, you know, he's the, sli- he's the sliding scale guy. What is, like, what is that a reference from? Do you just have a bud named Kinsey that no, you're always Kinsey's guessing about? Like a, Kinsey's like a, fa- they put a documentary on the guy. He's like a famed sex psychologist. Oh, okay. So I'm just not on the tip here. No. Well, I mean, you may be. Kinsey might have something to say something about that, you know? But um, basically, <laughs> basically, like sometimes, you know, on the Kinsey scale, it just, you know, it's, certain things make you, uh, you know, gay or not gay. And, and Kinsey's not fond of that vernacular anyway. So I, I don't know. Whatever. Like, I mean, loving hot dogs. Where does that put me on the uh, Kinsey scale? Real gay and also real awesome because hot dogs are amazing. Uh, you know, you know what? Like to borrow a line from Superbad, 
Do you know which foods are shaped like dicks? All the, the best, best kinds. Kind. The best kind. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Anyway, we're gonna move gently away, away from this topic. I feel, <laughs> I feel like it's it's like uh, moving too close to the sun. <laughs> hey, hey, fellas, don't fly too close to me. <laughs> oh, you're just ah uh, boy. Your wings are gonna melt. Ouch. <laughs> oh boy. All right, Dan. What have you gotten up to this week, my good man? Uh, I fell into a deep pit of a, of a Netflix show called Skin Wars. Are you, are you familiar with this? <laughs> um, it's not a Netflix show because just because it's on the internet. It's fourteen ninety nine, and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think you'll find very quickly that uh, anyway. We, we, I'm sorry. I, I'll 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 can that one. Another classic bit. Um, so my uh, my sweet sweet lady and I uh, have a little bit of like a, a fun little game we play, and it's called. As I leave the room and uh, my sweet lady is starting to work on something, she'll ask me to put something on in the background just while she works, a little bit of sound, you know, it it helps fill the room, keep her from being distracted. Here comes the game. I have to find the most ridiculous thing that I can to put on the background. And at bonus points, it's very ridiculous, but she gets sucked into it quick enough that the show stays on and she watches everything. Oh, that's, that's a fun available. game. That's a fun it's game. It's a great game. It's a great game. So that's the kind of um, game that relationships are built on. It, you know what? Or just like that spring without warning from two people spending time together and enjoying each other's presence. Because sure. that's the type of thing that you could hate someone for. You're like, hey, Dan, can you put something on, on the old tube? And I put on something terrible. And you're like, that's why I hate you. Here's my two weeks notice. I'm moving out. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> so Did, anyway, I'm sorry. Just I, let's roll back real quick. Have you yeah. been given? Have you been served two weeks notice on, at, upon the ending of a relationship before? Is that a thing? Uh, it's it's in the it's in the contract. It's in the re- you you make you know, you you make people sign a relation. That's smart. That's smart. I never got a contract. Sure. It's got to be clear. It's got to be very clear. Understood. Plus the Understood. NDAs. The NDAs have to be rock solid. Rock solid. Never mind the prenup. Go ahead. Never mind the prenup is my middle name. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's uh, a so good I feel like there's a good lawyer commercial in there. Tom, never mind the prenup. Um yeah. so anyway. So uh what I what I slid on to the old Netflix this time um was a show about um making bouquet arrangements mm. in the form of like a uh uh, reality television contest format like you have three hours to create a, an arrangement that looks like mickey mantle um now my sweet lady immediately hated that it, it did not hook she wasn't into it but netflix being the the dynamo that it is immediately recommended with super ai uh a show similar to that that is you know, laser focused on on tagging her down, and it was the exact same format. In fact, I think they reused the set, and they switched out bouquet arrangements with airbrushing and on uh, on humans. You know, oh, body painting, body so, painting. Same show, Skin Wars, hosted by the one and only Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Yes, she's a, a household name. She is. I mean, uh, props to Johnny. You Old know, Johnny Stamos. You, you locked it in. I hope you guys are still together. I'm not up on my celebrity news. But Even if um, you're not, you keep that name. You keep that name yeah, for sure for its legacy. Forever. Have mercy. Um, so Rebecca is a salient host for the show because she was body painted for hours at a time um, for the X-Men movies that she was in, uh, the Brian oh. Singer pieces that was she was she in. Was she Nightcrawler? And she had, 
No. The other night crawler. I feel like when you were in that accident, your head injury may have been more severe than the doctors initially thought. Uh, no. She who's, the bl- who's, the, who's the blue chick? Yeah, Mystique. That's the one. Nightcrawler's the like... the blue chick? The l- Who am I talking... Is this my best friend? Yeah. Or is this some, some work-a-day Home Depot gentleman? <laughs> uh, nails are in aisle four. Also, isn't Mystique just Lat- non-Latvian uh, Nightcrawler? Okay, like if you want to dive in uh, to the lore... Mystique is Nightcrawler's mother. Oh, so come on, man. Like, come on. That's that's relation right there. I'm not so far yeah. off the base. I mean, you're still very wrong. Gotcha. You know? You know? Fair. Like, it, like painfully. But that said, God bless you for trying. You're earnest. You threw it out there. Um, anyway, no, Ernest so she's in this- is one of the uh, members of Sesame Street. Yeah, I'm going to scare you, stupid. Uh, but that said, uh, so Rebecca Romaine Stamos was in the paint chair for like six hours, something crazy every day. And what's amazing is, so she does the role forever, and then they give it over to Jennifer Lawrence. Am I saying that right? I believe mm, it is Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, they're like, we could paint you, or you could just get in this bodysuit, and we'll put on some prosthetics and oh, do your no. face. She's like, "That, do that instead." I'm sure Rebecca Romaine had like a full uh, stress breakdown at that time. I would have, yeah, for sure. <laughs> As Jennifer jumps into her bodysuit, she's like, "Let's get shooting. Let's get this going." Oh, it was only 16 <laughs> hours of makeup. No big deal, really. Really, yeah, no big. Really, you just got. You just got. You know, your kidney has three pounds of blue dye number six in it, but you're you're doing great. So anyway, uh, ineligible uh, for organ donor status. That's that, except for it's it, a small Smurfs. thing. It's a small she, thing. She it's can donate only. to any Smurf. In fact, that's right. One kidney from from sweet RR with sixteen Smurfs all taken care of. Look at that man. It's basically a public service. It is. Uh, and then you can go back to drinking whatever they drink. I don't know, like mulberry wine out of a thimble or whatever the fuck. But um, so uh, my sweet lady was immediately, uh, you should, immediately captured by this show and uh, downed all three seasons. And I, I'm going to call that half marks for the game, for the game of Netflix. Yeah, well, Netflix is a fascinating thing, and good on it for suggesting that uh, that that ancillary um, TV series. There, it is kind of haunting how it gets so close to your personal preferences. Like, I can see the Netflix of the future being like, Dan, I think that you watch this show, so we should probably also watch this show. By the way, your taxes are late, and your girlfriend needs flowers because you haven't bought them in three weeks. Thanks for access to your bank account, pal. Cheers, bye. That's like uh, you like shows about having the blood type O positive. Yeah. Oh Ooh, boy. I mean, the future is so scary, Dan. <laughs> it's so terrifying. Um, boy. Anyway, we won't go down that rabbit hole. Smiles and purple dungeon squid. Uh, what, what, what did you get up to gaming wise this week, my man? Did you fire on some consoles? I fire, I opened fire on some consoles. Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, I got. Uh, really well into the saddle of Monster Hunter and got behind the wheel um, there. And you actually sent me a game that we're talking about later in uh, in the podcast that like is so my thing that like my hands feel itchy. Like I have to, like as soon as we're done the the old cast here, I'm jumping on and I'm playing this gem and I, I won't give it away, but it's all the good things. Mm, good. Yeah. No, there's some anticipation there. I, uh, I finally got up my shelves in my gaming room. Like I had, I had taken a half hearted run at it uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, but I decided for myself that I just, I needed a spot. And now not only do I have room for my games, which by the way is a pityingly small, 
small amount because I've done so much purchasing of digital copies that I now have very few actual copies of PlayStation 4 games, which is my main console, to put on the wall. So it's like I'm looking at this kind of empty shelf space where there should be a ton of games, most of which have been downloaded from the interwebs onto my PlayStation, and it's a little bit unnerving. So I'm going to have to go ahead and rectify that with some retail therapy. Um, May I make a suggestion? Go ahead. Um, just go ahead and print out your Kojiko cable bill uh, for your, your bandwidth overuse and just tape them to that empty spot in the wall. Yeah, I think that's, I wear it like a badge of honor. Um, sure. You know, the, the nice thing is, though, is I do have a nice chunk of space for my smokable section now, which I'm pretty excited about. It's just nice because, like, I've started, you know, ordering my uh, ordering my cannabis from some of the licensed producers here in Canada, Broken Coast, Mad Relief. I've got a split prescription with both of those guys, and the packaging that they do is top-notch. So it's nice because nice I can actually, like, display my, my cannabis. I, I don't have any stash jars at home, which is kind of a kind of a misstep. You know, I, right. I, def- I definitely want to go down that route, especially as legalization comes in and I just start doing some home cultivation, you know, there's some room for kind of displaying those buds. And I mean, I don't know about year one's buds. We might, <laughs> might be year two and three buds that we're displaying for, <laughs> for, for people to see. But, um, you know, it's just, it's a nice, nice place to have, you know, all of my stuff in one spot. I've got my, uh, I've got my, my water pipes up there. I've got some grinders. It's just, it's, it's nice. It's nice to have a dedicated Man. spot. I was just going to grow some pot, but now that I hear that you're going to home cultivate, I need some of that tip. Yeah. What's the difference? Do I need to, is it like, um, I need some science. Do I need to put some science right now? Dude, you just get yourself a pair that I'm wearing. Yeah. It's, it's a pair of thick rimmed glasses and a, and a mocha mocha chino and you're home cultivating. Yeah. Do I have to like pour some single source fair trade coffee into the soil? Does that help at all? It doesn't really help as well. I mean, it would, it would help if you've shared it on Facebook. Sure. Okay. Very important. Second, uh, what does the packaging look like from uh, Broken Coast and uh, your other supplier that I immediately forget? Yeah, that's um, that's Med Relief, one of the largest licensed producers in uh, the great country of Canada. Um, no, it's tremendous. yeah, it is tremendous. They do a great job for their patients. Um, you know, it's it, the packaging. Listen, it steps itself up every couple months, is what I've noticed. And you know, it's it's just it's a nice kind of black uh, bottle, which is great because then you don't have any issues with. Um, with light and my office is or sorry the the gaming room is actually quite bright and sunny during the day so that's one other thing i'm a little worried about with a stash jar is having a little too much light exposure on those buds that's right that's right yeah so it's like you know nice childproof cap obviously which is which is important and necessary and um i don't know just like having the branding on the front having quick access to the thc percentages and you know it all just feels so damn legit you know what I mean? It's it's so damn legit and 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 helpful. Actually, there's mo- some of these LPs will list, um, you know the uh, pardon me the terpenes that are present, the linalool and the myrcene, etc. Um, so that's kind of neat too. So you know th- this whole journey is just in its infancy, and obviously there'll be a lot more of this coming down the pipe. No pun intended. Uh, but yes, <laughs> yes, mm. ooh yeah, pow pow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to put it up on a shelf and be like, Oh, this is, this feels kind of weird. It's like the first time you ever wore pants, but I don't remember that. So this is better. (laughs) How is this a pre-sesh conversation? It's like, it's like the first time you ever wore pants. Confusing. Why are my legs in these fabric tubes? Listen, man. Is this a punishment? Did I do something (laughs) wrong? This is fucking medieval. Downright medieval. 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, anyway, man. speaking of the smoke sash, let's rush off in that general direction. And to get there, right. we got to talk a little bit about our sponsors. This gotta episode. Do due diligence mm-hmm. to get down to the Durbans. Listen, man, someone's paying. I mean, no one's paying, but mostly we're paying. <laughs> we're paying. We're paying mostly, We're yeah. paying for assorted hosting fees, et cetera. But uh, this episode, episode number 14 of Purple Dungeon Squid, it's a special one. Dan, can you smell episode 20? It's coming. I can smell it coming. You can smell that episode <laughs> coming. Just, just the scent of it's it's tangier than I thought it would be. It's just a little bit of lemon on the nose. Um, episode fourteen of Purple Dungeon Squid is brought to you by Weed and Video Games. Thank you, Weed and Video Games. You've been for there for us through thick and thin, through weak and weary, through uh, all sorts of other stuff, unpleasant and pleasant alike. Also brought to you by Swedish Fish. I believe that one is a trout. Yes, yes. Also brought to you by Assless Chaps. Let me drop this down on you. All chaps are assless. If they were not assless, they'd just be leather pants. Assless chaps. That's some... (laughs) That's some fucking wisdom there, my friend. Brought to you by the smell of burning hair. Lori, 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 your hair's on fire. Lori, Lori, what? Your hair's on fire. Oh, God. Even oh. at Lori's birthday party, she lit her hair on fire. Mmm, boy, visceral. Brought to you by Abrasive Towels. Because sometimes exfoliation works itself out. Did you get a gym towel? Of course you did. You've lost four layers of skin. Abrasive Towels. Yeah, you haven't lost four layers of skin. You've shed them in the pursuit of your greater self. To move on to greater and better things. Yes. And finally, brought to you by Guilty Eating. Because you did kill that guy, but good news. There's Hagen Dazs. That's... (laughs) That's 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 not where I was going with guilty eating, but thank you for taking that in a dark and unexpected direction. If you want to actually it's like a plea bargain for your stomach and your soul, if you want to actually sponsor the show, feel free to email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, you'll have to put up with all of this nonsense. And by the way, like we're 14 episodes deep. We're pretty far. I'd like to say we're pretty cool dudes. And the reality is, is we'll probably do it for next to nothing. So go ahead and sponsor yourself on the show immediately. Andy, really good opening bargaining here. Come, come on over. We're going to have to talk about, we're going to have to talk about how negotiations work. Oh, right. Um, second, Part two. It's going to be really expensive. Yeah, it. Listen for this kind of quality podcast. You're going to have to pay for it, but it's worth it um, because uh, you you get uh, big names such as Elon Musk and Brett Favre, a longtime friend of the show. Cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency is involved. Also. Oh yeah. No, we are doing blockchain. This is a blockchain podcast. That's right. Um, And Andy, can I ask you a a, a very direct question? How many folks, businesses, establishments have you reached out? To solicit a um, a sponsor, um, crypt, crypto cryptocurrency. We're doing a, a- cryptocurrency. Andy, Andy, you're fired as my business manager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, guys, we're, re- we're rehiring Len. Len, you're back in. Len, Andy, go in. fuck yourself. Um, I think I've already read the part about sponsoring the show. So, fuck. Here's the bridge. Ooh, ee, ah, the burn. Feel the burn, Dan. Where's it burn? Uh, everywhere. Should should burn everywhere. If it burns everywhere, is it? Does it burn nowhere? That is a haiku. 
It is not, but I appreciate your attempt. <laughs> Listen, I mean, sometimes you're a haiku away from being a haiku. Um, Dan, I, I, you know, I saw something cool on Kotaku today or yesterday, and it warmed my heart. Warmed my heart a little bit because, you know, next to video games, I have one true love in the world of gaming. Do you know what that is, Dan? I do know what it is, uh, and I'm I see the show notes, and I'm worried because I think you've done that this thing where you've snuck something that doesn't belong in our sacred lair. <laughs> say your shame. Ooh, say your listen. shame. I have a so little known fact about me, or maybe very well known fact about me. I have a I have a very large number of. I mean, listen, a large number, not a very large number, not like a not like a psychopath level of board games in my basement, but quite a few. Too many too many conditions, buddy. I'm getting worried. I'm really qualifying the shit out of this. Um, I'm a board game fan. I love board games. You know, there's something that's so, so nice about the kind of game that can be drug out when you've got two, three, four people kicking around um, and played over two, three, four hours, uh, you know, in, in, in between fits of laughter and, and nachos and, and, and soda. And so, you know, board gaming has been a big, a big, fun passion hobby of mine for quite some time. And I refrain from talking about it here because we've already got so much going on. Um, That being said, there is a gentleman who in the very recent past put together what's known as a print and play game. So Dan, first let me ask, are you a fan of board games? I, I have played board games. And as you know, I love them if I win. Yes. If I didn't win, that game sucked and everybody hates it. That's pretty much true about anything in your life, which is why you're so insufferable. But, um, you know, at the end of the day... (laughs) Ouch! Oh, man, come on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're not, and I do love you, even if I do have to, uh, you know, throw the game and let you win just for us to have fun. Throw the game? That's not true. Oh, no. One other thing that you should know about me, whether in video games or in, uh, in board games, is that I always tend to lose, and I'd like to equate it to the idea that I just enjoy the experience of, of gaming. Just enjoying it. Smelling the roses. Smelling the roses, man. Just enjoying it. And I, I win so much in life that, yes. you know, I sometimes I have to concede and just sit back and enjoy. And that's that's what I tend to do in video games. And, and my games. lifetime abject failure means that when you're going through uh, the garden sniffing the roses, I'm plotting quietly behind you with a knife. Yes, and uh, really needing that validation. And so that's, you know, that's where we go. Oh, I need it. I need it so much. Give me the fucking win on this card game, Andy. Uh, I just, I just, with a look of anger and and horniness in my eyes, I scream, Yahtzee. I'm not taking the fucking L on this one, man. Not on this one, Dave. (laughs) Jesus. Um, But yeah, so, you know, I mean, again, board games, card games, you really, you can't go wrong. I'm in for just about any of them. And a beautiful gentleman, uh, the name of which is Brother Ming. And I don't know if that's his real first name, but I hope it is because the name Brother Ming is like, you know. Nice Ming. I mean, listen, man. It conjures up, it conjures up the visage of a man perched atop a tall mountain in the Himalayas, um, bestowing his board gamey uh, toils of labor upon us. And this gentleman... Racist, accurate, continue. (laughs) Racist, get out of here with that shit. Um, What Brother Ming has done is he's created... A Fire Emblem fan g- game. It's an it's an adaptation of fi- adaptation. <laughs> Killing it. <laughs> it's an adaptation. It's an adaptation of. 
<laughs> Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, inspired right. by the board game. Um, sorry, inspired by the video. I'm having a hard time getting through this. It's inspired. That Sudafed's kicking in. It's kicking in. It's inspired by the video game. It's a board game uh, designed to be quick, fast, deep, um, and it looks absolutely gorgeous so a print and play game is something that a lot of folks in the hobby will do basically they'll take either a game that exists currently uh, if you're not in the board gaming world let's say you took monopoly and reskinned it with some different graphics or a different theme let's say you're really into i don't know um kirby you make a kirby version of monopoly and that's that's what a you know, you release a print and play. So someone else who loves Kirby can go ahead and download those files and recreate your version of Monopoly that you've made. Well, this is a print and play in another sense in that he's created a game from scratch. He's designed all of the systems. He's designed, you know, all of the stats and the dice rolling and the, the different things that make this game a game um, and then skinned it with the theme of Fire Emblem and made it available for people to download. Now, it's in a bit of a gray area because obviously all of the art assets belong to the creators of Fire Emblem. So you'd be wise not to try and sell this thing after you've printed it out. But by and large, if you're not making money on it, most people will you know, either casually issue a cease and desist to you or else just leave you alone, right? This, so this is essentially a homebrew uh, port of the popular mobile game to like a 15 minute quick battle board game. Yeah, and and that is that's what's really cool about it is that, you know, in my humble opinion, more video game designer and maybe I shouldn't say that because it's actually been quite popular lately for video game designers to turn their game into a board game, especially because board games have, have come up in a big way over the last five to 10 years, right? You've got board game cafes all over the place now. People in the mainstream zeitgeist are playing games like Carcassonne and, and Settlers of Catan and all these other gateway games that lead into the, you know, the, the greater, here's that word, Dan, diaspora. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, put on my douche shoes. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I was just, I, I'm looking at this game. It looks gorgeous, by the way. You can find the article on Kotaku, which links to the print and play files. And I got to be honest with you, I'm 100% printing this out and turning it into uh, turning it into something I own at home. This guy is such a, such a mensch that he's gone and actually created a print and play box that you can print out also. So you can print out a custom box that he's made for this game. You've literally got the whole thing, the whole package. It's just beautiful presentation. The artwork is gorgeous. The tiles look amazing, and uh, you know it really is an approximation of a of a you know a, um, a grid based strategy game. So pretty damn cool. What do you think? Sky clearly has a lot of heart for the community to do this, and a, and a love a love of the game because uh, you can tell the the hours that have been poured into this bad boy, and uh, he'll be carried into the halls of board game Valhalla. And uh, I just want to know that you and him are tight chums because he drew uh, the thinnest thread between our podcast and and your dark dark doings, and you've uh, you've used that to lariat your this article into our uh, into our sweet visage in our village of 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 lovely games. Yeah, man. Well, listen, sometimes uh, you want to eat shredded wheat, sometimes I want to eat shredded wheat, and sometimes I want you to eat shredded wheat, and that's where we are right now. Mm, terrible. Yeah, uh, but it got me thinking. It got me thinking because, um, you know, again, there are so many board games types out there, um, but 
there's only a couple spots in which board games and video games cross over. You know, board, yeah. board games tend to be more collective group puzzle solving, right? And you can think of a lot of video games as approaching that. But generally speaking, there's more dexterity and Twitch based stuff going on in a video game that doesn't always translate really well to the board game world where you typically have more time to sit there and deliberate your turn and look at the repercussions of your ongoing plays, right? And so it's neat because there is this kind of intersection between some board games and video games that create some pretty interesting, notable games. Like, for example, Dark Souls has put together um, a board game that folks have really jived on. It's uh, really like a, and I haven't played it, but it's a turn-based, well, obviously it's turn-based if it's a board game, but it's, it's an action-based, so you're selecting actions for your characters, and really what it is, is it's taking what would be a, a Dark Souls boss fight and breaking it down into its component moves, um, which you as a group decide on and then, you know, roll dice or, or draw cards to determine, you know, the outcome. It's pretty neat, to be honest with you. Uh, so I was just thinking about some of the other games that would be would be interesting to translate into a board game. Do any, any spring to mind to you? Yeah, you know what? I would love to see XCOM uh, as a board game. And uh, I'd love it as a uh, XCOM soldiers versus the aliens and uh, live players taking each role. I think that would be a great one. Yeah, that that is cool. I mean, so uh, two things. First of all, I've never played XCOM, so I'm not entirely sure the context. Um, like, I know what it is largely, but I've just not played it. So the, the specific request that you're making, I'm not sure if it exists already or not, because point number two, there actually is an XCOM board game that came out. There's an XCOM board game that came out. It does use a tablet. Uh, to predetermine some of the, I guess you would call it AI moves, like the opponent moves. I guess I would imagine what would be the aliens, because um, I think it is a cooperative board game for people to play against an AI. But uh, but yeah, there's an XCOM one out. You should check it out. Yeah, I saw it on the shelf uh, at our our local game shop that you and I uh, frequent, and uh, I looked at it. And it seems like it's halfway there, but you know, I'd really love to see uh, a player versus player. And I, I get right, the gotcha. attraction of the cooperative uh, vibe for sure. Like I get that. And it's probably easier um, to make. And I, I love seeing um, board game manufacturers doing some integration of mobile devices. And it, it's a touchy thing. It either, you know, adds to the experience as a supplementary or it can really kind of jumble it up and i wonder if it'll make sort of shorten the lifespan of a game because if if we had a uh, a game that was like monopoly if it was based on the fact that you had to have a phone from that era like it's a it's a, it's a phone number you call you know what i mean on a on a rotary phone it's like now call 442-1418 to see how much money the bank gives you oh man yeah that would be super bad <coughs> excuse me um, yeah, it's it's interesting because you brought up a couple things there. There's the PvP thing, which is which is fascinating because generally speaking, PvE games are easier to make, and I say that because um, there's no there's no power struggle, right? Like you're dealing with all players generally being on the same side. You've got asymmetrical gameplay because you know the the opposite side of the table, aka the AI, is doing things based on some sort of scripting like you know cards or, or or dice or something that determine what it does and it doesn't really matter if the players are overpowered 
or if the AI is overpowered, because generally speaking, you know, nobody's mad that other players have something they don't because everyone's on the same team, right? A player versus player game, however, definitely it's exactly the opposite. It's harder to ba balance because if you've got a game where one person has an inherent advantage over the other in all situations, that's a broken game and most folks won't play one like that, right? Um, so that is interesting. Uh, the other element is I just won't play a board game that wants technology involved. You know, I just, I don't love it because I love video games and I, if I want to play a video game, that's what I'm going to do. The second it's that you- almost as if the two genres should never be mixed in discussion. <laughs> you have such an agenda <laughs> and here. You know what? You should hear the end of this conversation on our other podcast, Squids and Ladders, and uh, that's coming out uh, never. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we already tried Squids and Ladders. That just it didn't last too long. Um, but uh, but yeah, just to put to put a fine button on it, they, they just I don't believe that you know bringing digital into the into the world of board games. I think it just kind of defeats the purpose because if we're going to be pulling out an iPad, I'd rather probably be playing a, a like a four person video game on the on the PS4. You know what I mean? Exactly. Why go halfway? Why go halfway? Why go halfway? Monster Hunter, I think, would make for a really cool game, uh, board game translation. Yeah, you want to uh, hunt down some massive uh, creatures on a nice 2D sort of hex map? Well, there's a really huge board game that came out uh, about a year and a half ago, and I owned it for a short period of time. Uh, it's called Kingdom Death Monster. Did you see? I think I showed it to you. It's It came in this massive box. And when I say massive box, I mean like like four feet oh, long kind of fucking crazy I box. remember this game. I salivated over it. This thing... I mean, it's got some serious survival horror elements um, that really push it into such a cool space that, you know, other games dare not tread. Well, yeah. So so Kingdom Death Monster, just to put it into perspective, is about $450 American. So this is not <laughs> for the faint of heart. Actually, maybe it is for the faint of heart because they relaunched it on Kickstarter and it raised millions of dollars, which is to say there are a lot of people who are happy to throw money at this game because it's so fucking cool. Basically, I won't go too deep into the mechanics of it, but it's a survival horror game in which you build up a village, you play through kind of an abstracted storyline of crazy weird shit that goes on in this in this strange world of inky black eyes and eternal darkness. And, um, you know, you're, you're playing these kind of hopeless survivors that are getting killed all the time by giant monsters and every time you kill a monster you actually harvest pieces of it that can help you you know create weapons and, and create buildings and do different stuff to advance your your population and civilization so actually in many ways it probably already is a monster <laughs> is a monster hunter analogy uh however i feel like you know a more streamlined maybe less expensive <laughs> monster hunter uh, board game would, would do really well because it's got that perpetual always want to sit down campaign style session based play feel to it already. I think that would be really cool on the, to have like a group come together every week to play like a monster hunter board game, you know, you know, just do it on the cheap and put a small gerbil in the center of a hungry, hungry hippos board and just work it out. There's your monster hunter right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll lock you up for that, but you know, maybe that's the best case scenario here. I insist that you be gentle to all our animal friends. They're our friends. Be kind to them. 
or you will suffer in the afterlife. Yeah, unless they're, you know, <laughs> a part of that agricultural loop that ends in them being slaughtered and us eating them. In which case, you know, I mean... Oh, so dark. I hope we cut this segment. I hope we do. I'm here. praying to sweet board game Jesus that this gets lost to the to the annals of time. <laughs> the last thing that I'll bring up is, uh, is Street Fighter. Um, I think Street Fighter would make for uh, a wonderful game. And, you know, the, th- the more I think about this, the more a lot of... Roll for Hadouken. Roll for Hadouken. Plenty of genres of video game have been translated into board game. And there's some pretty clear ones that don't really work, like first-person shooters. Although, there is a game called Adrenaline, which I hear does that pretty well. But I won't go there. Street Fighter, however, has been done in a game called Battlecon. Uh, I own this game. It's called Battlecon Fate of the Indines. And basically, it takes a 2D fighter like Street Fighter and... Um, kind of approximates it through playing cards and stuff like that approximates individual moves that you make it kind of really gives you the feel of like I've made a move the other person's made a move and and you know there's some rock paper scissors elements but it's it's very kind of in-depth and anyway I won't go too deep but I feel like an official Street Fighter version of that game would be freaking dope you know what I mean oh I'm on the edge of my seat yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, I appreciate you bring, mustering as much hot as you could. It, 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 so back to this Fire Emblem thing. I think this is a really cool element, and I, and I hope that it signals a transition into a world where video game designers look at... Um, cause you know, I would, I would, I would put forward that the video game industry is by far and away the most mature of the two certainly has the largest fan base. Video games have become so mainstream and so ubiquitous with pop culture now that, you know, uh, board games, although they're kind of catching up, um, really stand a lot to benefit from video game designers saying, Hey, we want to dip our toes in there. Riot actually made a game recently, riot of league of legends fame. Um, Riot actually made a game recently that um, was, what's it called? Mechs and Minions. It kind of approximates a MOBA, right? Which is cool. You can kind of sit down with your friends at a table and play a MOBA pen and paper style. So yeah, I think more of this would be cool. I, I take it that it's it's not your bag necessarily though. Uh, what? No, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, and what I like about a board game is it's the bridge between the isolated gamer and human interaction. You're going to sit with some humans. You're even going to make some eye contact with them. However, you don't have to talk about yourself too much because, hey, I just rolled double sixes and we're all really excited about that. And that can be, I, I joke, but that can actually be really cool. And for some people, sort of helping them get out of their shell is you know joining a local board game group and just like being with people. Because... Uh, one of the one of the beautiful things about uh, you know video games is you can connect with people over distances, but you can get into this weird spot of isolation where you haven't looked another person in the face other than the ten people that you see every day, and that that can get weirdly isolating. You know what I mean? No, oh, I had hundred percent know what you mean. I think that it's like it's interesting because I've only. I've never been a reclusive gamer. I've always been a really social person. And so if the opportunity presents itself for me to spend time with people as opposed to sit down and play a video game, I'll always take people first. And I don't say that to ride my high horse because what that what that amounts to is me never finishing 100-hour-long JRPG games, especially in the in the event of betting a friend that I will otherwise, you know, monetary conflict. Did you say betting, betting a friend? <laughs> well, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it does Andy, take... Andy, our hangout next week is canceled. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, scratch that. I'll just bring protection. There, We're back on. We're all back right. On. Barry, there you go. Um, where was I going with this? Yes. I think that it can be, the, the, there's only one period of time that I really experienced that sort of social isolation that comes with playing too many video games. And that was in university playing World of Warcraft. I got like a little too deep on World of Warcraft in university um, to the point where it was like, go to class, play a little bit of World of Warcraft during class to prepare for the raid that evening, go home, do the raid, probably go to sleep at four o'clock in the morning, not see anybody, do rinse and repeat like five days a week. Um, and the it culminated to me missing my sister-in-law's birthday party at a super fun Mexican restaurant with tequila. Because I had to raid Carazon. And I was like, I remember this being an argument with my wife. She was my girlfriend at the time. But I was like, listen, babe, there's 20 people that are <laughs> that are counting on me to lead this raid. So I cannot come to the birthday party. And uh, surprise, surprise, it's uh, still a point. No, it's not a still a point of contention. How but did you bamboozle this, this woman was, into matrimony? I don't know. You've come a long way it because was, your yeah. monitor tan was ghastly. It, it was, you it, looked like your liver had failed. It was a low low point. I'm not going to lie. It was a low point. But listen, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to go through the, the dark the dark times to understand what, when you've gone wrong, you know? You know what? Rock bottom looks different for each of us. And, um, you know, raiding through your sister-in-law's tequila party, that was your rock bottom. That was not so good. Um, but I did listen to a lot of reggae during that uh, during that Carazon run, and uh, sparked up. You're I remember jamming. sparking up a spliff. So I was okay in the time. It was the next day that was that was a little bit of a moment. All right. Anyway, enough about my dark past. Um, faster than light. Did you play faster than light, my friend? You know, I did. It was a tremendous game. I loved it. Yeah. You I, got uh, yep. a random, merciless SpaceX expedition. You got uh, permanent permanent death, and uh, you got to build your own ship adventure. And I mean, that's my deal. That's your jazam. Yeah, no, I got you. And, uh, you know, I haven't played it. Uh, and I do kind of regret that. I don't know what's, what's stopping me from jumping in there because it's totally up my alley. Um, but the makers of Faster Than Light just launched a game called Into the Breach. Have you seen anything about Into the Breach? Yeah, I've been following this one closely. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So um, I, I, I won't belabor the point too much then, but uh, basically it's like an Advance Wars style, um, actually to talk about Fire Emblem Heroes, uh, it's like a, a grid-based strategy game. And I'm really stoked to give this guy a try. Uh, the, only, the only barrier to entry here is that it's Windows only on Steam. Um, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a Mac gamer. Uh, so maybe you'll have to give this one a try for both of us. Uh, yeah, you can count on that. And it, it's weird because you look at it and this thing is ripe for a, a mobile version. It's so simple um, in this in, in its in its sort of streamlinedness. You're the the boards that you you know you combat on are all very similar in their layout. You know, I think they're nine by nine and uh, you eight know, by the eight, actions yeah. that you're the actions that you're choosing for your um, your characters are very simple. You know, you only have a couple options. They're all meaningful, um, and they're all like very uh, nail bitingly hard. 
Um, but the game's fair and it, and it presents well. So I predict if this thing has any kind of success, you'll you'll see it on your iPhone or your and your Android. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think fast. So faster than light. I, I'm pretty positive had an iOS version, and I think that's where a lot of people played it. Actually, yourself included. Um, no. Oh no. Okay, my mistake. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, this game is is set in the in the future. There's like some time traveling. I haven't really wrapped my brain around the setting necessarily, but really, what it is, it's kind of like Starship Troopers with mechs. You're uh, you're you've got some some mechs. Can I lay it? Can I lay it down? Because I really feel like I got this thing. Sure, sure. Give it to us. It's Terminator plus Starship Troopers. Uh, plus the uh, that movie with the giant robots. They're called Jaegers. Can't remember what it's called right now. Uh, Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. There it is. Yeah. So you put those three together. Humanity's been destroyed by these invading bugs, and time travelers have gone back to one of the key moments with skyscraper-sized mechs to show down with them. Yeah, I like it, man. And it, it looks cool. And what's neat is the mechs are all unlockable. I believe there's a ton of them to unlock. Um, and it seems to favor like a combo-style heavy gameplay. So so, you know, you've got some simplistic options. It's like move this guy here, take a shot with this guy and move this guy around to flank. Right. Uh, and so pretty simplistic choices. It's not going to take you forever to wrap your brain around them. But each of those characters, based on which mech they are, have knockbacks or have the ability to interact with the terrain in interesting ways. And so, you know, as you define these moves, you've got a one, two, three punch of, you know, this guy knocks an enemy into a building and this guy, you know, um, locks down another enemy from charging into the flank. And this guy, you know, hops over this enemy and, and you know, um, whatever deals with the other enemies. And so, I mean, I don't know if that was clear, but really what it, what it, I understand it culminates into is a lot of simple decisions that make for impactful, meaningful, really interesting combos um, that, you know, will, will transition into the next turn. And so I, I also understand the game is quick, which is really important for me because these kind of games, uh, I find, again, I'm a real softy for difficulty and not to say that I, I don't enjoy a difficult game, but especially in a strategy game where you can kind of tell that tipping point, the point of no return where you've invested, say, one, maybe two hours into a scenario that you're pretty predictably not going to win. Um, and it's at that moment that often I'll lose interest in the match and maybe come back to another match later. Um, but that amount of investment of time only to have it kind of fizzle on you does kind of feel shitty sometimes if it's too long a game. So it's nice that I can get in and experience the inevitable failure. <laughs> And then, and then, you know, jump out and rinse and repeat uh, until the point where I've really got a handle around the mechanics. Yeah, this game definitely sips on the broth of games like XCOM. Yes. But you're right. It really streamlines the process of playing in the sense that you're kind of going through the process of, you know, kill bugs, keep your giant mechs alive, and don't let the civilian buildings be destroyed. And it does that in the space of what it would take to play one turn of XCOM is the entire match. Nice. And so you get that quick in and out. And if you are laid low, something I love about this game is that with the time travel gimmick, you can pick one of your squad to bring back through time to your new new squad. Oh. So you kind of have this string of continuance of the, the me one member of your team. So if you got a guy that you want to keep alive, I like the idea of naming one of my 
my character is John Connor and just keep sending him back through. I'm sure you're the only person who's ever thought of doing that. You know what? I feel like you're up on your high horse c- casting shade. And frankly, I don't give a shit. I'm still going to do it. I'm going to love it. Well, How about bless that? you. I hope you enjoy it. Um, yeah. And I just, you know, I want to, I want to qualify that earlier point and say like, that's maybe one of the issues I have with a game like, say, StarCraft. I've never really gotten into StarCraft. And I think it's because it takes a while for me to understand the, the gameplay loop. You know what I mean? Like with StarCraft, what I find myself doing is experimenting and building all the things, building a cool base, man. And I'll find myself going through that exercise for 30, 40 minutes. And I'm like, oh, I built up all this cool shit and I'm researching the new tech and this is cool and this is fun. And then like the enemy will wave in or the, you know, the opponent player will wave in and like destroy everything. And, and then, you know, defeat is inevitable because I don't have any resources left because I use them to build my whole base. And this whole loop, this whole learning experience has been an hour deep. And now I'm left with the feeling that I played the game not just like incorrectly, not just made some bad plays, but just didn't play the game right. Um, and you know, I, and now I'm struggling to understand how I'm supposed to come into the game at a later time and both enjoy myself because I did really enjoy building that cool base as well as be effective, right? And that's what I like about this is it feels like I can get my hands around the gameplay loop qu- quick enough and it's simplistic enough that I don't have to worry about sinking a shitload of time into a strategy that ends up being bubkiss. You know what? StarCraft is one of those games that's the, the biggest candidate for a Prima strategy guide, guide before you even like start because you need to know what buildings do what and how many to build before this and which units you need to build and what and you know what what your unit clusters need to look like there's so much nuance like don't even start playing the game because like you say you're you're gonna be 19 hours in before you're doing anything right and it doesn't look like into the breach levies any of that on you and these guys uh are you know one of the developers that so far i've loved almost everything they've ever touched and uh i i'm i'm looking forward to diving deep into this one yeah well i'm looking forward to your review because i guess i won't be able to play it on mac until they release a port and i think they actually to their credit i think they are working on a Mac port, uh, which wouldn't surprise me because Faster Than Light was definitely a Mac release also. So hopefully that comes sooner rather than later because I'd love to get in on this guy. So um, yeah, last little button on here before... No button. Oh, that's a pun. Uh, Last little button on here before we move into the smoke sesh. Um, Xbox is releasing some, and I believe it's an official... Yes, official Xbox One controller. It's called the Tech Series. And it looks kind of like a military-esque kind of uh, controller. It's got some neat military olive green um, casing on the outside. It's got some extra grips on the front. Um, and it's just, it's this neat little custom controller that I've actually, I started to really get into these um, these controllers, these, these strangely designed, interestingly colored, uh, unconventional controllers where in the past, I've never really given a shit. You know what I mean? Where do you, where do you land on this spectrum of caring about your controller and its color? I, if they designed the controller correctly, you know, you, you shouldn't want to, you know, or maybe like I haven't wanted to do too much with it. Um, you know, and I find that you're more likely to want to buy um, a specific controller if it like suits one of your gameplay modes. Like it could be a game pad for, you know, uh, fight games because that, that really gives that feel that you want. Um, 
And I get the idea of wanting to trick out your controller, especially if you're the kind of person that does a lot of couch co-op because you kind of identify your player one. You know, mine is the one with, uh, you know, Ryu high-fiving uh, Ninja Gaiden and they're about to eat a cake. And that that's how I get down. That's that's how I express myself, you know. Yeah, I get that. They, you want to trick out your ride of your, uh, of your, uh, your player one. Yeah, I feel that. And, and you know, I think that like it just it kind of speaks to me a little bit because you know, in the past, I've never purchased special controllers. You know, I think the first one I bought was um, the gold. Actually, it was it was the gold one for the PlayStation. I have a gold PlayStation 4 controller and I bought it only because it was purchased on Boxing Day. It was a player two controller for my wife so that we could crush through some Diablo three. Uh, actually, sorry, it was Borderlands two. Uh, and there was no other controllers left in stock. So it was kind of the default option. Um, and I don't know, I find myself actually playing on that controller all the time just because it feels kind of special. It's like it feels like an hour house controller, you know what I mean? And so I'm intrigued with the idea of having different controllers in the house, you know, getting a red one and maybe getting, I'd love an atomic purple one. I know that that's not a thing that PlayStation does, uh, but, you know, the old school like Nintendo uh Game Boy Color Atomic Purple in that in that in a PlayStation Four controller. Tell me that wouldn't look sick. Oh man, it would get you there. And when it when it comes to the modding community, it's it's really sim pretty simple to you know attach your own control, like build your own controller off something that you've nabbed off eBay. And one of the things that we did um, with our old PlayStation, I think it was one controllers or maybe it's PlayStation Two. You could buy some different colors. Um, some of them were clear case and what we like to do is swap um, the solid cases and the clear cases so you get a mix mismatch a mix mash it would be like the front would be open and the bottom would be solid oh, and cool. people would comment on that they're like where did you get that it's like the magic was taken away it's like i took that one and made put into that one and then they're they're a new one and they're like oh okay uh, you know especially if you're in there repairing some shoulder buttons because if you're like me um you you mashed in some shoulder buttons and, and had to fix those um but yeah there's there's a little bit of pride of feeling like you got uh something unique on your hands especially when you're dealing with something that's so mass market i mean there's a a playstation in you know, a, a fifth of the homes in, in, in America, it's cool if you got some 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 of that inside track stuff that, that you won't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you have to replace shoulder buttons because you mash them in. Sometimes the Cheeto dust has started uh, leaking out and, uh, you know, has corroded the inside of your trigger buttons. So, you know. Now, the way you said that, it sounded like the, the Cheeto dust is leaking out of the controller as if that's a secret sauce inside. It's packed to the brim with zesty cheese. I mean, I don't know how else you could get that that kind of magic so i think cheeto dust is really the secret for everything 24 karat gold mm, cheeto dust. gold cheeto dust yeah i mean so so i you know listen i'm not an xbox one guy i don't have one um i like this i like this direction that they've taken this looks like the kind of controller that would plug into master chief's ass you know what I mean? It's got, it's got like a, it's a nice. Why not his hands? I mean, I just, Why it, not his hands? I don't know. It just, it looks like some, I mean, it looks like a pair of buttocks. So I feel like it would fit, fit right back there just fine. Uh, and he, you know. Just beat he, those cheeks. Eh? 
Yeah, well, he'd be able to whip it out real easily. Like he'd just reach behind him like a, an old school gunslinger, pull out that yeah, Xbox controller. That might be uh, that might be Microsoft's next commercial. You're welcome. You're welcome, Microsoft. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to see PlayStation go like crazy with this. I don't think that they will because I don't know there's a big enough market for it. But it'd be really cool if there were hundreds of different controllers out there you could pick from. And just, you know, official P- PlayStation controllers. You don't have to worry about whether it's... Because I always get a little worried. I remember buying third-party controllers for the Nintendo 64 back in the day. Mad Cats or whatever. They were never as good. Let's be fucking real. They, they just felt weird. And I guess that that predisposition to not trusting third-party controller <laughs> manufacturers has has uh, persisted till now, till 2018. Because I'm still, I'm still not yeah. down with it. Yeah, you never played with a third-party controller. You slid that to your cousin, Brian. That's right, man. When Brian came over, he got the fucking Mad Cats controller. It was in the bottom of the, the entertainment system cabinet, right? Uh, you had to pull it out, dust it off, and let him know that if he didn't start the controller a little bit to the left when the console was powered on, he was not going to have a fun time aiming. Yeah, it wasn't going to work out for him. No. Uh, you know, that said, the third-party controller market has pierced into one that you never would have seen it before because they had that basically every third party one was the Econo brand that your mom's like, no, we're getting this one. And that's what was happening. But uh, they have ones that are aimed at the elite and they're like the, the, the um, $100 plus mark and they're specifically tuned for specific games or you can load specific game profiles onto it like Destiny or Halo or, or what have you. And they're, they're pointed at the sort of upper echelon of, uh, of players. So you can get these custom builds if you're so inclined. Yeah, and I, I see people swapping out like thumb buttons all the time or, or joystick buttons rather. And yeah, it's, it's all cool, man, adding grip. And I love that shit, you know, being able to customize your customize your gaming experience. I think injecting a little bit of individuality into your console is is a fun thing. I've also seen I think it's the Xbox Elite control. I don't know what it's called, but it's got those weird like extra um, like they're almost like metal metal rods on the back that you can use instead of the shoulder buttons so you don't have to bring your fingers up to the shoulders you leave them on the back of the controller and you've got like hair triggers on the back and that's kind of neat too I, I wouldn't probably spend any extra money to have that but it'd be it'd be neat to to, to try one once yeah for sure just to see see how the the super elite uh you know cpl cyber athletes live yeah i had a actually had a uh, back in my World of Warcraft days, I had a, a Razer Naga, which was a mouse that had 12 buttons on the side of it, as well as super responsive, you know, uh, clicker buttons. That's the scientific term. Um, and you got all the DPIs in there. Yeah, all the DPIs. It was cool having it, man. It, it unfortunately died to death when I dropped it off of my kitchen counter and it uh, shattered into 100 pieces. But um, and I'm definitely not shelling out another 120 for uh, for another one. But uh, it was fun while it lasted. Razor Naga, we salute you. Oh, the, the salute's out. The salute's out. Saluted. That's this episode. Salute. What do you think, my man? I'm feeling that we're getting salute's l- out. We got a little late start today on the Purple Dungeon Squid, and I'm feeling like we need a little pick me up. What do you think? We transition over to the smoke sesh. Let's kick it in the glass. Let's get it in the face.
Whew. Huh. <laughs> I feel like that's how I come into the smoke session every time, just hooing and hawing. And I don't know what brings me there, but I think it's the anticipation of a blunt. It, it, you sound like you're about to receive your doses of medicine like 90 minutes too late, like your hands are starting to shake. Uh, your, your blood sugar is dangerously low. I think I'm just channeling that misogynist from Scent of a Woman. Hoo-ha! Hoo-ha! That misogynist? Are you acting like you, you forgot? You forgot what Al Pacino's name is? Or has he wronged you so badly you dare not say his name? No, I legitimately forgot it was Al Pacino. You know, the only time I've ever seen that movie, I was like eight Pacino. years old. Pacino! Maybe even six years old. I was young. Uh, we were at the cottage. We had like a um, a very small, <laughs> we had a very small television. It was like four inches large. Uh, I don't even think it's possible, but maybe six inches large, whatever. Um, and it was black and white. I think my dad won it like in a barbecue raffle or some shit. Uh, As fathers win TVs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. Like dad won a shitty TV uh, and he liked that TV. It was like an endearing thing for him, right? It was this antenna based black and white TV. I mean, listen, we grew up with color TVs. <laughs> this was not, this was a step, this was like a deliberate step backwards, but he was, he was fond of it. And I remember watching Scent of a Woman uh, for the first time with him at the cottage and it's a delightful memory, but also it just, for some reason, uh, rings a couple, couple little misogyny bells in my brain. <laughs> I don't know. It's a movie, it's like a, a, a two hour journey of Al Pacino and Christopher O'Donnell, where basically, uh, uh, a retired military officer who happens to be blind like tries to get his his dick wet for like 120 minutes and they managed to make it endearing there you go and it, it, they really thread that needle because on paper that's that's a tough one but that's they, they get sell. it there yeah yeah well awesome <laughs> anyway hoo-ha i think that's appropriate um dude what are we smoking on today um, I think that what I'm smoking on, let me consult my literature. Let me check the board. Oh, okay, got to consult, gotta consult uh, back with the Purple uh, Dungeon Squid lawyers. Yeah, what is it? 21, defied by the two. Check the index. Oh, I am smoking on your favorite mechanic strain, Grease Monkey. Grease Monkey? I've never heard of Grease Monkey before. It sounds like a delightful, uh, delightful little enterprise. Now, I think my Nugsmith might be having me on for this one because I haven't heard of it either, and he may have just made it up on the spot, and we'll see if it does exist. We'll see if it lines up. Um, well, let's see. Grease Monkey Strain. Leafly, what do you have to say about this? Oh, yeah. No, we got something. We got something. Um, I am smoking today from Tweed, uh, which is another LP up here in Canada. I'm smoking some golden lemons. And I got to tell you, some these golden lemons, I didn't have high hopes for. Um, because opening this opening this container here and taking a look at some of these uh, these buds... They seem a little crispy. They seem a little too dry. Um, I don't know. It's they're not like that kind of succulent looking, jammy feeling bud that I normally equate with being amazing. But we're gonna go ahead and give them a try. Uh, the smell, however, is quite nice. So you know, it's it's there. Um, let me let me tell you a little bit about the bud first. So it, like I said, it's very very dry. Super dry. Um, cracking into this, it's kind of almost uh, flaking or um, 
even cracking apart, I guess would be the word. And uh, you've got some uh, nice light milk chocolate brown slash orange hairs on this guy. Um, reasonably frosty. And, you know, the trichomes are in there. Um, breaking apart some of the outer leaves. You can see like little nests of trichomes in and around the stem. Uh, it's, it's a very dusky olive looking color. So it's, it's almost got, um, a pallor of orange over the surface. And if I get in there for a sniff, uh, I've def, I mean, listen, it's golden lemons. And uh, to be fair, if I could smell a color, it would be gold. And if I could, you know, the, the citrus is undeniable. Um, let's call it like a ripened lemon. Like it's, it's got a little bit of sugar in there from being, from sitting on your counter for a little while. And, uh, the other note I would, I would recognize in there probably is sweetness, probably just a, yeah, sweetness and sweetness and citrus. That's, that's what I'm going with. And today, Dan, I want to let you know, I have rolled and here's a, here's a little, here's a little stoner confession. I have rolled my very first blunt. I've never rolled one before. Ah, El Premier Blunto. El Premier. So listen, I've smoked plenty of blunts in my day. I've just never been the one rolling it. I don't know. Plenty of blunts. You've been the receiver of blunts. I've been a blunt receiver. I've been a blunt receiver. I've not been a blunt uh, a blunt producer. Um, and to be blunt, uh, I'm pretty excited about getting this guy going. I didn't know how to seal up the end though, which was kind of embarrassing. Like I, I got this guy going. And I shouldn't say I rolled it because honestly, I bought some cones. I bought some primal cones, au naturel. So they were really already rolled. But the end is like all kind of crackly and weird. And I'm trying to like twist it into my normal joint thing. That's not what you do. I tried to pinch it closed, but then it kind of tore a little bit. So uh, we'll just go with this monstrosity that's tightly packed and all fucked up at the end. I love it. And, you know, blessed are the blunt deucers for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Oh man, that was biblical. Um, you know, what I am noticing though, is that there's not a lot of smell in this blunt wrap, which is cool because there was lots of flavors and I wasn't really all about that. I like to taste the weed. Uh, it's made out of tea leaf though. This is not, um, this is not a tobacco. Yeah. It's not a tobacco leaf blunt. It's, uh, so that, that allows it to be sold with impunity at the, uh, at the counter. Um, and it's made of yerba mate leaf yerba mate you know what after you're done this uh rich blunt journey you're about to embark on perhaps it will foretell your future of great joy and happiness yeah well look at you being so optimistic about my future well aren't you or warn you of a disastrous yeah we'll just stay right away from that one i mean Um, it could be it could be a calamity of errors let's let's stay away from calamity and wish nothing but good things um but you know your your full head of hair no, no, don't touch my Bald, hair. W- withered. Go Why on, are you sorry. Cur- you're cursing me over the phone here. I'm this sorry. I, I love you. Listen, I love your hair. Did I not write your hair Christmas card last year? You did write it a Christmas yes, card. I Leave did. it nothing but good wishes. I want you to retract your baldness right now. Retract it. I, it's not my baldness. You Retract know what? it. Let's 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 open it up. I'm about to end this goddamn happens, podcast happens. right now unless you say you're not going bald. <sighs> baldness retracted. Thank you very much. Um, that being said, a yerba mate blunt feels like something I should be buying at Starbucks. No, buddy. No, you're wrong. And I hate to say it. I love to say it. I hate to say it. David's Tea. You're getting da- that at David's Tea. David's Tea. Toronto franchise. Y'all wouldn't know it unless you're from the six, as Drake says. Uh, David's, or is it David's D, as in D's blunts? <laughs> David D's blunts. 
I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and see if I can light this guy. Um, because I, I may not be able to, who knows? Then I'm just fucked. Uh, what about yourself? Why don't you give us the analysis? Well, Golden Lemon by DNA Genetics is a citrusy strain with a potent punch. This 60-40 indica-dominant hybrid is a cross between kosher kush and lemon skunk and emits a distinctly pungent herbal citrus aroma that speaks to its parentage. This Excuse me. The effects immediately hit the consumer, as they are now, between the eyes, leaving bright, sizzling euphoria in the mind. Golden Lemon melts over the body and shows its sedating, indica-dominant side with heavy consumption. Testing it at an average of 23% THC, Golden Lemon is suited for seasonal cannabis connoisseurs. Ooh. I'm having a hard time getting this blunt going. Oh, my God. Ooh, risky blunt. Fire everywhere. It's flaming all over my computer. Oh, my God. You need a torch, buddy. You need a torch to get that started. Um, If for you blunt smokers out there, as Andy struggles, understand that one of the best ways to get the blunt going is a very accessible cigar torch. There's fire everywhere. Oh, my God. Andy, can you deal with your crisis on your own time, please? Thank Jesus. you. Uh, preferably one with three burners. That'll get it started quickly. You just want to toast it. Toast it with the end of the flame. Andy, are you still with us? I think I'm going to set off every fire alarm in my house. This is not... Should so I good. call the fire brigade? I've never smoked a blunt inside, and it's not It's not turning out so hot. Holy Oh, smoke. no, you've made, a, you've made a poor decision. Good pun. Poor decision. To put a blunt lay, this is a fucking bad idea. Oh, bad pun. Okay, go to the go to your blunt corner. Okay, I mean, golden lemons. Golden lemons. I don't know how it tastes because there's so much fire going on. I can't even fucking understand. Ooh, oh dear. Put it out. Put it out. Wow, that was that was absolutely insane. Holy macaroni. Uh the taste. It tasted like fear. Tasted like <laughs> tasted like fear. That's the only thing I can remember. I think it was nice and sweet, a little bit sweet. Um Boy, I'm gonna stick to a pipe inside. That was a fucking calamity. <laughs> that was a fucking calamity. The the blunt caught on fire, and I don't know if it's because it's this yerba mate shit. I don't know. Uh, it seemed way more flammable than a normal tobacco blunt. Like really on fire. Like really on fire. Um, <laughs> weird. When I put the fire into the flammable thing, it lit on. You turn into Frankenstein's monster. There, you're like fire burn. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, it was just like these flames were licking up into my eyebrows and my eyes. And um, the taste was of that of burning tea, not necessarily weed, which I think means that I hadn't gotten down to the weed part until halfway through. And at that point, there was so much smoke around me that all I could think of was fucking Andy. bad things. Hey, Andy. Yes? Burning tea is my West Coast rapper name. Oh, amazing. What's the name of your dropping solo debut? Uh, Tom, let me be a good improviser. It's called uh, Earl Grey and that butt. Oh, man. That is, a, that is a top 300 song at best. Let me try again. Darjeeling special. Oh, Darjeeling. Now, Darjeeling is the name of your, like, I would say very short cohort like the like you're he'd, he'd be like your co-rapper but very short he, he's he's a man of small tat stature yeah you're i'm sorry what was the name of your rap name again burning tea you're burning tea you're burning tea and darjeeling's your boy 
You said the burning tea, and I like how five seconds later, would you say that this effect is hitting you? Let me look at the article again, right between the eyes. Uh, oh, I would, actually. I would. It's like, it's almost as if someone's given my third eye a poke. In a good way? Uh, well, we'll find out. Um, I've got this horrific taste of burning tea in my mouth. This, let me just go out on a limb here and say, I wish that had been fucking tobacco. That did not, and I'm not a big tobacco fan, but that did not taste good. Hey, Andy, have you noticed that typically people don't smoke tea? I've noticed. Have you noticed that? I've noticed, and I know now why, because it tastes yeah. like absolute garbage. So I, yeah. I got to be honest with you. The golden lemons may or may not be delicious. I have no idea because it was spoiled by the taste of this it, fucking tea blunt. Over and overpowered by terror. Yeah. <laughs> Just, so I would say overall that was uh, not a good experience. But that being said, the golden lemons is settling in nicely. Um, you know, it's a fun kind of playful space. And I don't know if that's just because of the fire and brimstone, uh, but I'm, I'm feeling, you know, fun, playful, and uh, I want to say relaxed, but the relaxation hasn't hit yet. I'm just yeah. sort of on the edge of fun and playful. Let's just stay there. Right. How about Grease Monkey? Why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, Andy, um, I fe- feel like we established a new protocol as uh, last episode went down the pipe. Um, you know, there is a moment in the podcast and it was about five minutes after I smoked into that, what I found out to be high potency um, weed, the uh, pink tuna, where I was promising myself that I would listen to what you're saying and give a cogent response, promising. I'm like, listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to what he's saying. Is that a blue garden full of figs and uh, and dryads that are beckoning me? No. Oh, he's still talking. Oh, I've lost him. Uh, and, uh, you I know, lost and, the plot on that one, dude. Oh, repeatedly lost the plot. Really blasted off there. Yeah. So, I mean, um, we were both kind of having our own conversations. It was quite sure. the, uh, quite the podcast. Yeah, it was. It sounded like two divergent audio tracks that it were uh, carefully laid over each other in a kind of um, remix. That I actually, said, uh, I actually just removed your audio and and put put a put a little bit of this old house in there. <laughs> Bob Vila's just bringing it home, bringing it home for me. Home. Uh, you know that said, can you peek at the article and just give me a hint in the potency to know how how stiffly I should tread into this lake? How thin oh. is the ice? Great. I mean, listen, it's tough to say off of like a leafly, right? Because yeah, you'll get a range. But for example, you you pegged my uh, my golden lemons, I think in the in the early 20s. This is actually um, and I'm looking at the bottle right now because it has a it has the uh, the percentage listed of THC. It's actually only a 13.7% golden lemons. So, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a range. Definitely that is so fascinating. Can you just go ahead and check what the potency says there? And I'll use that as, <laughs> as sort of a guiding light. Yeah, sure, buddy. Sure. I, I can't find it. Uh, <sighs> overview. Percentage. Grease monkey flavors. Walking. Dosage. Dosage. That dog has no tail. Medical. Genetics. Don't have death. a number. This is podcast death. Please stop, <laughs> buddy. It's like pulling in. It's like pulling into a gas station, knowing that you're going to eat dinner there. Okay, in just one Google, I found the dosage. It says mind your dosage. So we're going to go ahead and I'm going to tread lightly on this. Puppy. I understand. I understand. Go right ahead. Uh, it, fascinatingly enough, the three-letter indicator of Grease Monkey on Leafly is GMO. 
Not the sexiest, not the sexiest tag. So um, this nug is beautiful. It is sort of the shape of um, a giant nerd at uh, the candy, the delightful sugar blast <sighs> provided to children to achieve record levels of diabetes. Oh, yeah. And what I would say about this thing is it is caked in sweet, sweet brown gold hairs. And it's followed up directly behind it with sort of what looks like a nebula of crystals. And as I squeeze it, it's like a firm, packed bud. It is juicy. It is sort of uh, sticky and creamy. And on the a nose of it, what it's threatening me with is two things. Um, a heavy skunk and uh, gasolina. So this thing, this thing is going to be a one-two punch of sedation, I'm going to tell you right now. And I believe you also had a set of weeds. So this is going to be a real relaxed podcast. It's going to be, be no more, the chill zone. There's going to be no more lashing out, all elbows and teeth like a spider monkey. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I can feel a, a Have sensation you felt, of... I mean, let me ask you a real question. Have you felt like yeah, a please. spider monkey in this episode? Um, you know, only for a moment when I thought to myself, I should gather grapes from a nearby canopy. Nice. I had a, I had a friend in elementary school who was obsessed with spider monkeys. I'm remembering mm-hmm. this now. We were building a snow fort one fine January day, and he informed me that later on in life, he, he hoped to be a spider monkey. Um, and in that moment, in my innocence, I uh, I congratulated him on on that thought. Not really ever thinking. I, I hope you, I hope you get there, Dave. I hope you become. Actually, his name was Dave, which is terrifying. Um, yeah, I hope you, I, Dave. I hope today you stand as a proud spider monkey. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's probably a trainer for the beloved show American Ninja Warrior and that's about as close as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you didn't wish I mean, listen, that's pretty good. That's, you know, Dave's got a pretty solid career there. Um, I'm glad you didn't wish him ill like you did to me wishing my fucking hair away. You say, you know, Andy, speaking of it only Brig gives it more power. In fact, I can I feel your stop, follicles I want to stop thinking about it because it's making me upset. I tell you what, buddy, if things were to go south, I'll give you a transplant of my own ugh, rich head of hair. I don't want your hair in my hair. That's just... You ugh. know what? Offer removed, Baldy. Offer revoked. Jesus. I don't know about that. Um, by the way, many men would look tremendous with a shaved head. You have your Jason, Jason Stathams. You have your Bruce Willi. However, you and I, Andy, we're, we're no hiding... Chance. We're hiding a head, a head of oblong shame under it. I know that your head has four corners, which is horrifying. And my head, it comes to a point underneath <laughs> these luscious locks. I'm, I'm hiding what, what can only be described as a peak uh, ah. in the center of my head. So it's a good thing we have these luscious, these luscious uh, strands to, to, make, right. uh, to make us right. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down on this thing. Yeah, why don't you get in there? Grease Monkey is a sweet, earthy strain with strong, skunky overtones. Created by Exotic Genetics, Grease Monkey is a cross of Gorilla Glue number four, ooh, that GG4, baby, and cookies and cream. This strain's indica-dominant genetics saddle the consumer with a lazy, munchy-fueled body buzz that softens the blow of chronic pain, nausea, and stress. While defined okay. as a hybrid, so this Grease Monkey's deep relaxation will naturally naturally lead some consumers towards sleep so mind your dosage um full disclosure i forgot what i was doing there and i went a little bit heavy on this Ooh, um, so we'll, 
Um, I may need a feeding tube and an insulin drip. I mean, an intravenous uh, feeding drip um, soon. So just keep an eye on me over here. It's always challenging to fit a hamburger, a whole hamburger, and into an, into an intravenous drip. But uh, if we can find a way, we will. I feel like if anybody could make it happen, it's you, Andy. Now, l- let me ask you a question. If you alter the countenance of, an, of, a, of a hamburger into a liquid, what kind of hamburger do you want? Do you want a plain? Like, I feel like in that instance, you want something as plain as possible. The so second, let me tell you, rule number one, cheese is out. Cheese, cheese is, is right out, out for cheese sure. Cheeseburger canceled. Gone. Because that thing is going to congeal inside any kind of tube, and yeah. it's going to be game over. Yeah, I mean, listen, the burger fat is probably there too, but I feel like the cheese just makes it way worse. Um, and, and the big issue with cheese is once it, once it starts to harden up, you've got a real problem on your hands. Um, I think as long as the burger is at temperature, you want to keep that warmth in there. You want one of those famed warmed blenders, yes. uh, the kinds that you can make uh, soup in or and whatnot. Understood. Uh, and as that that thing hits your palate, what you wanting to be you want to be tasting is a sweet mulch of lettuce to keep it fresh. Come on, health first. Let's keep that flavor there. there just a, a dollop of ketchup. Uh, a couple of little slivers of pickle, and then you just want it a strong beef bun slurry firing right. at your, your waiting esophagus. I, exactly. And I mean, boy, I, you know, I, th- I, I honestly think well, I want to go the opposite direction and just say plain hamburger, because the second sure. you start getting like sweet notes in there, I feel that's when you that's when you're really going to hit that nausea train all the way into the Swiss Alps of puking. I believe uh, Nausea Train was your your wife's nickname uh, at parties in high school. (laughs) It's not a bad one. It's not a bad one. Um, How's the grease monkey settling in, my good man? Um, I feel like uh, I've just been rescued from a burning building and a a kindly fire person has draped a blanket around my shoulders and served me a a cup of cocoa. I feel safe. And I feel, um, you know, like I've been through an experience and... uh, and it's uh, it's both tiring and relieving somehow simultaneously. Also, I feel like a cold compress that is also somehow also warm has been laid across my forehead. Nice. And that's that's uh, you know that's not it's not a bad thing. Grease monkey has come out of the uh, come out of the wilderlands to make you a happy man. Um, yeah, that sounds like a nice uh, sounds like a nice experience. I can't get the taste of this fucking tea leaf out of my mouth. It's nauseating, and I gotta say. Uh, Primal Blunt Wraps, you ruined my evening. Um, if you want to sponsor the podcast, <laughs> unless unless you want to sponsor the podcast, then best evening ever, really. Then that, and then in that case, it feels like an edit point. That's what that feels like. We can negotiate all of these things later on. Um, later I on. have a fun munchie this evening, hopefully, and I'm going to skip right to this munchie because the flavor in my mouth needs to change five minutes ago. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I have got a. Organic Manuka Honey Pop. Have you ever heard of Manuka ah, Honey? I have heard of El Yucateca Honey. Oh, El Yucateca. Yeah, uh, Manuka, I don't know if it's El Yucateca or otherwise. It's um, not. That's a made-up thing. I apologize. You deserve better. Continue. Thank you. Thank you. I You're just wanted to, I wanted to play the straight man there. I wanted to walk the, uh, walk the thin line of righteousness so that you'd have to come back and be an asshole. Um... <laughs> You uh, you read our design document document and you're respecting that and I appreciate that. 
So this is not telling me anything. This packaging is not telling me anything about what Manuka honey is. I mean, and they're making a pretty big deal about it. It's made with genuine organic Manuka honey. But what the fuck is Manuka honey? I, you feel hey, like that's if you want a history lesson. You're going to do it on your own dime, sir. Yeah, but that's that's like saying, oh, I don't know. I guess you need to be a Manuka honey insider. That's like, you know. Now with more linalool on a, a big jar like, of weed. It's kind of like Manuka honey. If you're buying this, you already know. I guess their market is people who already know what Manuka honey is. So how the fuck did I end up with this? This um, is the rapper version of honey where they come on that track and right up front, they're like, you already know who it is. And you're like, I don't actually. And if you could tell me that would help, uh, that would help. And then they're busy being like, ha. Oh yeah, let's get some mumbling in. Um, so I've so I've got this sucker, this Manuka honey pop. It looks like a standard lollipop, not even like a round kind of conventional <laughs> lollipop. You know, like the, the did spherical you bring ones. A lollipop to the party? I did. Um, you know the the spherical lollipops you get, the like bougie upscale lollipops nowadays. Those are cool, yeah. and they look uh, yeah. they look very planetary. This one, yeah, they got a, the planet Jupiter in them. Yeah, this is well, exactly what I'm talking about. This one specifically looks like the kind of sucker that you'd get from the dentist. Well, maybe not from the... No, the dentist is a bad bad professional giving out to candy situation. Um, no, I'm talking about like the kind of sucker you'd get as a child from a favorite teacher. Now, that doesn't happen um, either. I, I, You know what I mean? Like a standard childhood hey. sucker. I don't know where you get them from, but you know, here we are. Where you get them from is, I think, clowns. Maybe that's no. like a, a place you would get you, them. Like, would you honestly like, yes. take? Would you honestly take a sucker from a clown, Dan? In your in your childhood, did you take a sucker from a clown? So when a clown tries to approach me, the only sucker I can think of is a sucker punch. I'm like, he's Ooh. not even going to see coming. I'm well going to come on his. I'm going to come on his balloon. His balloon f folding side. He had an accident back in aught six, and that rubber slapped him in the eye, and he's not going to see this right cross coming at all. That is some research of your opponent, man, and I love to see it because it means prepared, it means deadly. Preparedness saves lives. Saves lives. Anyway, this is a standard childhood sucker, and I don't know what flavor it is. Could be raspberry, grape, or uh, orange, uh, but there's no denotation on the package, so I guess I'll just have to guess with my tongue buds. Hold what on, I you? thought it already ha had honey in it. I thought it was a honey jet. Uh, yeah, honey it, no, no, it, it's an organic Manuka honey honey pop uh, yeah. that is flavored as raspberry grape or orange, which is a strange Secondary choice. Flavor. Secondary, Secondary flavor. I don't know why you would go Honey's that direction. Honey's not good enough for you. We know you're too good for honey. We started with honey. We made it better. Eat shit, bees. We're better than you. Accept yeah. it. <laughs> Eat some fucking Manuka, bitch. Um, but yeah, this I don't know what flavor this is because there's nothing on the package. So I guess we'll find out. Unless it's supposed to be raspberry, grape, and orange at the same time. In which case I say, that just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, it's some sort of mimosa pop. Go ahead and fire that thing in your bush. And, uh, and, and I'll go on, on and say, this is, and I'm going to say that unequivocally, the best way to uh, hear about your opinion on what a sucker experience is like because there is no comforting way to watch a grown man like imbibe a sucker mm, i agree you know like it's just it's this is a better as an audio experience not great like i do hear it smacking around your mouth but you know not as bad as staring you right in the face so i gotta say um grown man eating a sucker what ends up happening is as a child, 
you have the desire for an extended experience with candy. Why? Because you yes. don't really have that much candy. Your candy, sure. you're, you know, the ceiling on your candy possession is pretty, pretty high. Uh, your low, mother's going to step in ceiling. as as soon as something gets out of control. You cannot go buck wild. You have t- two days you can go buck wild, possibly, possibly three based on your religion. You got Christmas, you got Easter, if it so abides, and you got uh, Halloween. And maybe you can sneak one past the goalie on your birthday. There's other kids there that are contending for cake. It's a real shit show. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, so at the end of the day, you've got all the desire for sugar in the world and a desire to savor it as a child. Now, what happens is you grow up, become a grown-ass adult, and here's what you do, Dan. You bite the sucker. And I've just bitten the sucker. The cardinal rule of childhood, don't bite the sucker. I just bit the sucker. And it's pretty good. You know good. why? Because you got things to do. I can't I be all day with this sucker. Done. I got a call from Tokyo at 5 a.m. This sucker's getting downed. Then I got to fill out some memos to Yakashimi Corporation. And file my taxes. Mm. Pretty good. Feels like a functioning adult. So I've crushed this Manuka sucker honey. Manuka honey sucker. There we go. Um, pretty good. Pretty good overall. Tastes like sugar. A little tangy. And I still don't know if it's grape, raspberry, or orange. We'll find out. Or maybe we won't. Hey, Andy. Yeah, yes, Dan. Hey, Andy. You know when you want to munch on some nuts? I, there's nothing in You know me when you want to just answer. munch on some nuts? You just want to munch down on them? No. Well, no. listen. I got good news for you. I got you covered. Because I got me some nutty munch. Now, this isn't what I'm you sorry, might think is, of it is. Sorry, please repeat. Repeat for the panel. Oh. Oh, what's it? This is a nutty munch. Good news. Good news. A bag of of nutty munch. Yeah, some nutty munch. It's got some nutty munch munch. and money munch. And good news. I know you're thinking that this might be a uh, just a container of assorted nuts. There's going to be seven and a half Brazil nuts and about eighty five thousand peanuts. No, sir. What you're looking at here is a bag of puffed nuts. Um, Oh, it's a peanut snack puff and good. Good news as well. There's a jolly nut on the front who has been given no monocle, no top hat. What he does have He's is, a straight player. Uh, he is a straight player. He's extremely excited. And uh, he's wearing some jaunty sneakers. He's in a full run. And his hands are lifted skyward in the air. Victory. And, uh, he's like running to tell me about these puff nuts. Although there's a, a, a secret desperation in his smile. If I just cover up his smile real quick. Oh, he looks like he could be running away from a, a towering inferno, or right. The, yes, the Dutch, the Dutch have arrived. It's a, it's uh, a coded message galleons. from the from the people at the Puff Nut Factory. Help All right, us so I'm gonna bust. Look at the fear in this nut's eyes. I'm going to uh, assess the puffed the puffiness level of these nuts. Let me just check it out. Oh, that, the that sound. Crinkle gold. The noise is something. The smell is another thing. The sound There's of the a fear. Blast of, there's a blast of peanut buttery nuts coming at me. Nice. I, you know, the, the smell of peanut butter is a delightful thing. You either love it or you hate it. I'm a big fan of the smell of peanut butter. And this is, this is also the smell of a bag of uh, edibles that does not possess any polysorbates or any uh, sodium uh, uh, derivatives for, oh. for preservation. Thank you, Puff this Nut thing Guys. Is, this thing is, this is coming at you raw and loud. So let me pop one of these puffs into my boot. Get that puff in there, my friend. Notice okay. how the puff crinkles between his teeth, becoming so what we got here, squished 
as time progresses. It it comes in with a crunch. It melts immediately. What you got here is they've taken a, a, a traditional Cheeto, a puffed Cheeto, and they've held off on the cheese blast because, hey, you're lactose intolerant. Mm. And they've come down on it hard with a peanut butter bath that isn't so much like a coating, like a chocolate covered situation, but it's been like passed through a uh, aspiration machine. It has been airbrushed um, with a light coating of, of peanut butter. Wow. And is, the it, so it's not can, a, is it a powder or is it like a glaze? They've really split the uprights on this one, my man. There's um, some glazy elements. There's a shine. But um, it isn't altogether slick. And one of the reasons is, is the base, as you well may know, of your Cheeto is corn. So it's kind of riding a, a corn wagon into your mouth, a corn flavor wagon, and saying, there's a smack of peanut butter here. And then it follows up with that, that old standard, the, uh, the corn. So it's the Trojan horse of corn with a creamy peanut butter interior. It, that is so true. It, not interior, uh, peanut butter exterior. Remember, flavor blasted on the exterior. With I just, I just meant I to say that more... the peanut butter was hiding inside the corn vessel until the last moment, at which point it struck. Right. Well, I like that, but it just visually conjures something it's that just it, visually that, confusing. That, I got it. Let's we'll right, back away from it's that an one. Outside thing, and it's okay. Hey, listen, you did a metaphor, and sometimes they do you back. <laughs> you did a. That's <laughs> that's like what they write in third grade on your on your test sheet, Johnny. You yeah. did a metaphor. You did a metaphor. <laughs> um, so this thing, um, what I what I like about it is, it really treads lightly on the sugar wagon. You got four grams of sugar per 25 grams. That that it works out to be uh, a quarter of this bag. And uh, little else. I mean, you got 120 calories. You got nine grams of fat from that nut butter. And uh, four grams of uh, protein. And in terms of vitamins, I mean, they don't, there are no vitamins in corn. No, no, no vitamins and there. And peanut butter. Um, it's rich in, in vitamin puff. Mmm, vitamin P. An important part yeah. of your daily balance. I'm going to hit one for the road. Here it comes. There you go. Full crunch. I, I, like, I like it. I like it. Dan, let me ask you a, a, a personal question. What's the strangest yeah. thing you've ever eaten peanut butter on? Mmm. 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 Mm. Yep. Yep. That's a good question. And I, I mean, there's some basic ones for sure. But I mean, how deep can we go? A beaver's tail? Oh, yeah. A beaver tail. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, you know, no, 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 I get no, that. No, 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 no. Not a beaver tail. A beaver's tail. I don't think so. Still attached. I don't think so. I don't think this well, is a thing. I feel like your early doubt. Are you a are you a fucking fur trader, man? Like you been you just got back from the Hudson's Bay. What happened here? Well, back when I was a ranger, and, I see. Uh, we were uh, uh, you know out on uh, the the uh, northern reaches of Ontario, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, uh, Thousand Lakes, and. Uh, what you find out there is a, a lot of dams, and uh, what you'll find as well is is beavers and various woodchuck yeah. around them. Uh-huh. The, evi- the evidence the evidence of your escapades is damning. Yeah. No. No. Time out. Time out. Pause. Pause the podcast. Pause. Yeah. No, officer. I. I he, we're being pulled over by the podcast pun officer. Yeah. No, officer. I do know it's his third bad pun. It's. I, uh- we have been talking to him. <laughs> yes. No. I. I. Yes. I know. I know. 
Uh-huh, uh-huh. You've been thank, just, thank, no, yeah. thank you, officer. You have a safe night. No, yeah. You have a safe night. I know yeah, okay. Serve and protect. Thank you. Thank you. Andy? Yes. Written warning. Sorry. Written warning. Got you. I mean, listen, man, um, I, I've always wanted to hear just exactly how hard you would blow an, an officer of the law. So thank you for uh, bringing that uh, to our attention. You are welcome. You're just going <laughs> to sub in the sucker sounds from, from our munchie segment. <laughs> Oh, God. Good Lord. Damn. This episode's called uh, uh, Beaver's Tale and How to Get Out of a Ticket. Yes. There you go. Dan has just displayed for you how to get out of a ticket without an ounce of your dignity remaining. Um, Dan, what did you... What That's did you, a salty nightstick, I'd say. <laughs> salty nightstick is the name of my next autobiography. Is that retractable? It is. That is is nice. that retractable as the name of your next autobiography? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Okay. All right. You're winning some pun points back. Oh, God alive. Ooh, wordplay. Dan, let's talk about some video games before we go too far in the wrong direction. Um, and I saw the wrong direction mile marker about 15 back. Uh, what did you play this week, my good man? Hmm? Pardon me? What did you well, this week I uh, I reviewed uh, an old favorite. Uh, uh, it's called um, Bananagram, and it's a it's a uh, a modification of everyone's favorite game, Scrabble. Um, and what's delightful about this thing is it it comes in a portable banana. You just unzip it. There's Scrabble tiles in there, and here's the twist: you spell things. Buddy, what it. fucking dimensional third wall have I fallen through right now? <laughs> oh, we now is this not squids and ladders? The is, uh, oh god, man, this this paradigm <laughs> shit has just done nothing good for my mind right now. Um, just steering the bus 180 degrees towards the other direction. Um, yeah. Let's try this again, Dan. What did you go ahead and uh, what did you go ahead and play this week on this very serious video gaming podcast, my friend? I had an opportunity to sit down um, with with uh, a game that's been awaiting um, just a, a proper experience with a Monster Hunter. And, oh, there you uh, go. Got some now, time with it. Th- let me just let me just gently swoop in here and say how excited I am that you a decided to pick up Monster Hunter World and b have made so much progress into it. In fact, far more progress than I have. So now you've officially become the leading Monster Hunter World expert on this podcast. How does this moment make you feel, Dan? The pack master, one might say. Um, you know what? I feel good in the sense that I like being wrong, you know, every once in a while. You know, you mark it on the calendar. Dan was wrong. You underline it. And I was throwing shade at this game, you may remember. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember you, you throwing a little bit of shade. Not even so much openly on the podcast, but I always just got the sense that it wasn't something you were super interested in uh, in diving into. You know, I was uh, afraid of all the wrong things you know i'd saw seen a a little bit of the alpha gameplay and it it, you know it had you um you know uh doing your monster hunter thing hitting a giant monster with a huge improbable sword um but the clips i saw is of a guy running through uh, an environment that looked way too overpacked overstuffed with like creatures and bunnies and birds to feel natural like it feels like the level one zone in wow where everything's corralled in i didn't like that and like some guys attacking a giant monster and birds are flying through not reacting to it and i just like and everything all the bad things that can be in a game like this like menu hells and uh you know really long drawn out uh gameplay arcs i was like just ready to suffer 
And I was delightly, delightfully surprised by this thing in everything I was wrong about. Oh, I mean, I, I got to say that that's a pretty interesting way to paint a picture of what you thought Monster Hunter was going to take you through. Because um, it's neat. I've, I haven't seen any of those things in that way, in that light. But you really. Right. Yeah. You kind of highlighted some of those those fears that I, I would be completely blind to. For example, you're talking about everything being kind of packed in, condensed, too tight, just like the level one zone in WoW, for example. I can see how someone might think that the, the levels are kind of of contained between the multiple campsites, et cetera. It's, it's kind of like that. I hadn't really gone down that path of thought though. The spacing is better than I thought. And, um, it, it doesn't feel super overcrowded. Like I thought right. it would, it's like, it walks that line because you know, you, you make your place too barren and you got a gameplay experience. that's like now run through this forest with, you know, undauntingly for a long period of time. And this is a game that's already asking you to put a chunk of time down on hunting right. a monster. And you know, they, they do not overstay their welcome almost ever. Like you, when you're moving around the, the train, you're feeling good. You're tracking the monster, picking up prints and mucus and feathers that are helping you zero in on it right. on the you know the the your quarry you're picking up meaningful items as you go um you know that uh, maybe you're looking out for maybe you're going through the area for the first time um it, but once again it's not so filled that it's obnoxious even the the smaller wildlife that dots the airs and the the air the and the the water and the land it also isn't obnoxious no i agree with you i think it's you know it's it's true for so many things in monster hunter being over designed you know when you talk about armor sets and weapons and even the monsters in many respects which is a cool aesthetic for sure um, but it definitely tends to be a bit busy i find that the environments while they yeah while they are diverse definitely um feel comfortable and feel intuitive to move through i, I love that actually yeah. it's, it's neat that you that we kind of uh, align in that in that perspective because i think it is one of the more defining elements of monster hunter and, you know, I love the game because I, I feel like uh, we don't have to explain too much about what it is, but, you know, because it's called Monster Hunters. What do you sure. do? You hunt monsters, you know, and these these giant beasts, um, they they feel like a boss fight. Um, they Every do time, have yeah. they are a unique mechanics to each of them. And the strategies you you use to take these different monsters on they really are meaningful and yeah you can smash your way through it but if um you know unthinkingly but if you do that you will hit a wall at certain monsters that their move set what they're doing it it demands you sort of look into it and the game does you know you remember what you hated about Mega Man? you have to arbitrarily kind of know certain things yes the the game gives you mechanisms to learn about the ecology about these animals so if you pick up their artifacts and you follow them and you encounter them you start to gain hunter knowledge about them and there's you know entries for each monster and you can start to suss out their patterns and their weaknesses and whatnot and that's that's uh you know really bridges the gap and um and that, and that research feels that, fun like that process right. of learning about the world and the monsters feels fun and, and it's funny because it is information that you can largely just pick up on the internet just largely do a googling for that shit and at the same time um it's so satisfying to learn in game that you never really feel inclined to do so Yes, yeah. Uh, another deep fear that was unfounded is these games and games from this part of the world and, and that have this much detail can fall into a little bit of a nightmare of menu hell. Yeah, I mean, 
I have to give I have to give Monster Hunter a little bit of shit for that because yeah the menus the menus can be a little overwhelming uh, even just learning how to scroll through uh, your items and manage your items they throw a lot at you at once so you know I I, I would tend towards saying it's good but not maybe not a, an ex- a great example of menu management. So I have to say, for the type of game it is, yes, there are menus. Yes, you have three pages of potential items, you know, uh, numbering probably 200 items that you can pick up. But for a game of this type, it avoids being too terrible on this front. Right. Very rarely can go more than two menus deep into anything, you know, and when they when you do that, um, it's for a good reason. I have to admit, I struggled over the controls a little bit in the crafting screen, just getting an idea of how they've laid it out, but right. they've, they've, they've been brief where they can and they have, you know, they have tried to give you as much information in one place. It is one of those games, you know, you're looking at the armor and you can tell they're going to go deep because they're like, do you want to sort by rarity or damage type or resistance or skill boost? And I'm like, take a deep breath. You know, let the feeling of menu stress <laughs> flow out of your body. <laughs> oh, and just so many future options. You're only going to look as deep as you need to. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like it's like um, you know, in a movie where they do that cut back thing. At the end, you're like an Olympic skier, and then it cuts back to you being fat on the couch eating Cheetos. And uh, you know that there's going to be some personal growth in between now, who you are, and who these menus are suggesting you'll eventually be. You look at the detail and you look at the commitment on knowing what any of it's like any of the things it's talking about. And you say later, (laughs) later, if I have to. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. So have you played any of uh, Monster Hunter online? Like I know that you you have a couple other uh, other buddies that have jumped into the game. So have you guys done any group stuff? Um, yeah, we have done some group stuff and, uh, you know, I got, I do have a good crew online on this game. Um, and the game does a great time of making that easy. You can join people's sessions, which is like their little slice of, uh, of the world. It's like their instance, right? Exactly. And, uh, you just hit join session and it'll drop you in. You can fire up, um, what are called SOS flares and missions to give them the ability to hop in with you. You can post missions that they can join in on. The game has done a lot to let people hop in your game and make it painless and make the interaction feel, um, complimentary, um, and, uh, working like a crew, um, that's great because yeah, I, I haven't I haven't really done any of the multi, multi pardon me I, I haven't done any of the multiplayer drop in stuff yet, um, and I was actually really concerned that it wasn't going to feel super intuitive. So it's great to hear that that it that it has something. And this thing is rando approved. Um, I feel like this is the game where you can group up with randos pretty easily. Um, the amount of communication that you got to get done is kind of minimal. It's up to you to bring the right stuff and know the monster and to do a couple of the etiquette things. There's some etiquette rules inside a monster hunter. Yeah, I feel like rando is the Spicoli equivalent of a character in a 2007 high school drama. Yeah, you know, he's of unknown quantity. He's kind of a wild card. Uh, I'm thinking like a a Vans hat above a very bushy, long brown mane. Yeah, he's got um, some of those sunglasses that are plastic and the arms are some neon color, let's say orange. Um, I'm going to go with, with the hot pink and uh, orange on the other side. Sure, uh, yeah. sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. A band t-shirt, t-shirt or ironic... A slang T-shirt. Uh, I think I think it's a, I think it's a, an ironic Kurt Cobain shirt. I think right. he's he's like 
not in love with Nirvana, never been a big Nirvana fan, but he's wearing the Kurt Cobain shirt because he's silently poking at other folks who have done so in earnest. I I feel like he's like pointing at a shirt of himself wearing the shirt you're wearing and he's like, nice shirt. And he's like giving you some shade about it. Yeah. It's a six shirt dude. Six shirt bud. Um, anyway, Monster Hunter has been a great experience for me. I like I'm I'm really enjoying um working through all the, the levels of complexity because what you know, I'm still not that far into the game comparatively. I know that you've kind of sped past me, but you know, the game has it revealed to to me all of its kind of basic systems and the process of going deeper, say on mastering a weapon or say on really getting your hands around the um, the upgrading system in the game. Uh, it, it just it it does so in a way that constantly feels like it's revealing to me new surprises. So I'm really digging that. The uh, the one of the the things that I look at in this game and I I, I sense is a miss. I can feel something wrong. A shake in the ether. One of your the mechanics you have a sidekick, a sidekick feline. The palico, partner, a palico, which is like a calico that's your bud. I think is the the joke. I actually I that, had not gotten that at all. Wow. Thank you for I, <laughs> thank you for revealing that. I had palic hadn't even made that equivalent. I, I feel like I wonder what it is in the other regionalizations. Like, does that does that translate over? Like, or do they use a regional uh, colloquialism for friend and a cat breed over there? Yeah, I don't know the bro cat, so to speak. Right, exactly. Now they say cat. How and he does some catty things. There's meowing. Sometimes there's uh, cleaning and some purring. I mean, if it but meows, mostly, cleans, and purrs, it's probably a cat. Right. However, this what this cat does also do is um, it it cooks. And I've never had a cat prepare a meal for me. You um, got also a pretty sorry lot assortment of of cats in your apartment. Then I'd I'd wager. I know they're freeloaders. Yeah, nary a meal prepared. Um, actually, small little sub note. I I did see someone on Instagram the other day who had prepared a feast um, in exact uh, imitation of the feast that the Palico cooks up for you. Um, pretty pretty fantastic. Hats off to those folks because it looked yeah, the, delicious. The brawny, beefy pirate bandana wearing, one eyed cook cat. Yeah, he's a, he's a real. And it was, so what were you what were you saying about the Palicos? There was an issue with the Palicos. Oh, it just the, their qualities say cat on on that level on that that uh, that material level, but they throw themselves headlong into battle to support you. Sure, and I proposition that no cat, <laughs> no cat would do such a thing. This is a, this is a, a a hole in the in the plot of character, in as much as right. it, as I it mean, pertains to the cat like palicos. And who's really getting the shaft here? Getting uh, uh, the raw deal is dogs. Because let's be honest. That's a dog thing. That's a dog move all day long. All day long. Self, all day long. Self-sacrifice in the dumbest of ways. That's correct. They're ready to give their life for you at a moment's notice and they're kind of pumped about it. it. It's hard to get a cat to register your death when you're dead on your own kitchen floor and they're walking across you. I mean, some might say that the Palico is not necessarily a, a Calico that's your pal, but the pinnacle of uh, the amalgamation between cat and dog and what that, uh, what that beast would be. Palico. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's, um, that's like an <laughs> island of Dr. Moreau 
DNA splicing horror, horror. They should be abominations. They're like, they regret their own existence because of the, the internal conflict of an animal that doesn't give one sweet fuck about you and one that would die for you in a minute. It smiles with the sincerity of Puss in Boots, but those eyes you know say, what? kill me. Kill me now. At least they can re- agree on one thing. Like, we're going to lick our butts. Yeah, I mean, everybody's all, all about that. Um, th- so... Let me ask you another question. Are you gonna are you gonna go deep on Monster Hunter World? Are you are you thinking that you're gonna get into that end game loop? You're gonna start grinding for uh, you know for all the the weapon sets. You're gonna do the hunting of the elder dragons after the credits. Like wh- wh- where where do you where do you where do you put yourself on that spectrum of monster hunting long term? Uh, you know what? Uh, it is gonna continue into the foreseeable future, and the, the game's got all the the foundation. Um, but, you know, isn't the type of game to really, really hook me? Because the game story is, like, super meh. I, I, I mean, it, it's yeah, probably there for definitely not some there people, for the story. But it's such, it's such this um, super anime aesthetic. And, like, the, they, it, it plays, like, the character NPCs are all, like, they're from Final Fantasy X, which barely kept me on by the fingernails in terms of the story. And it does the has has the sin of unskippable cutscenes. Mm, yeah, you got to watch Waka do his thing, my dude. And um, I, how dare you talk about Final Fantasy X that way? Considering um, it brought us such blessings as Blitzball, laughs and cries, my man. Like there's some good moments in there, but there are moments some there there where I just want to like. It's not that I dislike it. It's that I dislike it so bad I want to jam my finger through my eye and wriggle it around. That 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 bad, eh? I mean, I, I mean, maybe maybe not that bad, but maybe just a, just maybe just a thumb, not necessarily a finger. Is that worse? I don't know. Visceral, visceral. All right. Well, uh, here's to here's to what I hope will be a a good fun time uh, monster hunting in the near future. Um, obviously, we can't talk about it every episode because that would uh, that would be shoot yourself in the head worthy. But um, you know, I, I'd like for us to kind of touch in over time and just see kind of how we're doing. This is this is definitely a lifestyle game. If you intend on if you if, if you're jumping into Monster Hunter with the intention of playing it for ten to fifteen hours and bouncing out, uh, odds are good you should just stop before you get to that point because that's not what the game's about. It is a long-term play. I'm excited for it to be a long-term play. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing how this, uh, how this stays fresh uh, as you you know, f- it goes on. You can feel it in the way that the, the weapon systems are building because I'm, I'm like a 10, 15 hours in and I've unlocked like none of the depth in any of the weapon trees or any of the armor trees and uh, the game keeps dropping new weapons and new armors on you i understand you know uh, my buddies that are quite a, a far distance ahead of me are like i'm still discovering monsters i'm still discovering weapon sets yeah it's pretty it's pretty incredible and again like you get into the end game loop of elder dragons and from what i understand there's there's a lot of diversity there and there's other monsters that get harder that you fought previously just just a lot of really cool stuff to to kind of double back on and discover new um speaking of uh not being a game that you can jump in and out of how about a game you can jump in and out of it's a perfect segue. Yeah, there you so go. right. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, it felt a little bit like cod liver oil um, rubbed it on your tongue for uh, a long period of time. <laughs> um, the wit has left me, I believe. I believe we can safely say the wit has left me. But what hasn't left me is risk of rain. Boy, it, just it's, mm. it's 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 soaked into the soil, has it? It's like the sound of a bagpipe um, that has turned itself 
into a fuck damn <laughs> sometimes sometimes you metaphor sometimes <laughs> yeah you did a metaphor johnny you, you did you a on, metaphor you got on the you got on the metaphors you got on your meta yeah. all fours on that one wow you did a metaphor uh, uh well that is the episode title there she blows um you did <laughs> <laughs> oh boy risk of rain let's just let's dive right into it no. risk of rain is a roguelike that i have found myself dipping my toes into very frequently over the past week to the point that i've been playing it almost exclusively it is a beautiful roguelike came out um i think in 2014 and playing it on the ps4 for the meager price of 9.99 has been a highlight of my gaming year so far so i understand you've played it too right yeah i have i've risked some precipitation wrist a little rain yeah i mean so it's a roguelike in the sense that um well <laughs> it's a it, it is a roguelike however you it's are a rogue like <laughs> totally a rogue like uh, all the time yeah. well you're playing you're playing through a run you're playing through a session where you're trying to get as far as you can without dying um and you know the monsters progress in in challenge and your character will level up and gain more health and earn new items as you go through and your you know your objective is to make it as far as you can without croaking and the cool thing about it is it's a 2d isometric kind of metroid slash castlevania style game as opposed to an overhead kind of isometric um, 2D kind of uh, Binding of Isaac or, or other kind of fantasy style um, role-playing game. Risk of Rain, uh, not role-playing game, pardon me, uh, fucking roguelike. Damn, there roguelike, goes, there goes my mind. Um, so what's cool about Risk of Rain is it's got this neat sci-fi aesthetic. It's also really like I don't know if the word would be low fidelity. How would you describe those graphics? They're they're obviously eight bitty, but not really. I don't know. What do you think? They got that eight bit, sixteen bit feel. They got the nuance of mostly dark color palettes, like your 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 browns, your deep blues, your deep purples. Yeah, but it's a very like, abstracted pixel style. Like you don't have a lot of definition in the faces. You're not seeing eyeballs or anything like that. Like there's no eyes. Everything is kind well, of blurry yeah. and from a distance and very almost pastelly. Well, you said it, but but it's super zoomed out, you know, in terms of the screen, what you really get is that there's a focus on the environment and the platforming elements of this, um, you know, uh, this game, because your guy represents, you know, uh, a very small portion of the screen, you know, like you're a two centimeter, three centimeter high uh, character when I played it on Steam, you know, and so the world, the, 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 the environment you're moving through really takes front front stage yeah it's true and so you've got this this 2d platformer where you're jump jumping around uh, and trying to almost avoid enemies for a lot of it um and you know the environment is so massive your character is so so small that watching trailers for this game before i purchased it um i, I didn't know if i was going to enjoy it it felt it zoomed out so much that it almost feels like it's at, it's being displayed at an incorrect resolution do you know what i mean it's kind of jarring I don't know. Yeah, that- if you know, it takes a second to adjust to the perspective, right? Because you're so zoomed out. Yeah, but like what it, what I've discovered is that it affords 
uh, so much more information. And you would think that that would, that would mean an easier game, right? You have more information about what's going on around you so you can make better choices. But what it actually means is you have to manage more information. You've got more enemies coming from more directions. They've just turned up the difficulty to account for the fact that you can see more of the screen. So you're not only making split-second tactical decisions about how to position yourself around an enemy, for example, a slow soldier that walks towards you when you need to pelt or push back with your ability versus uh, a jellyfish that's flying through the space air and, and sneaking up from you from above. Um, you know, you can, you're not moment to moment making adjustments. You're accounting for those things a couple seconds in advance. So you're fighting the soldier. You can see the jellyfish coming down from up on top and you, you have to now gauge the amount of time that you can consider or continue to push your luck against the soldier before the jellyfish is going to overtake you. It's quite the brain burner. Yeah, nobody sneaks up on you in this game. You see your enemies coming, you're traversing difficult terrain, and, and I mean, as far as my strategy, I'm trying to make my way through the, the, mo the as much as the, of the level as possible while completing um, the goal of defeating all the enemies on the level so you can spawn the boss and, and clear through to the, to the next the next portion. And the, the concession of this game is that it gets harder as time goes on. There's a clock that warns you that much and shows you the difficulty level you're at. So you're, you're pushing against this um, time barrier to get through this level before the enemies get beyond your point. Yeah, of, it of sets power. a pace car, right? It sets a pace car yeah. difficulty. And if you spend too much time milling about gathering items, although that usually is the superior strategy, but getting those items is important because if you take too much fucking time, the enemies are going to overpower you because they're too powerful. What I also love about this game is there are a ton of weapons. There are a ton of items and weapons and buffs that you can grab. Sorry. Um, I think there's well a hundred, over a hundred, hundred, well yeah, hundred plus, hundred and twenty-five maybe different items you can pick up that give you different abilities or buffs or de defenses or whatever, um, and it's cool because you start to you start to get into this groove of building building out a character with specific overlapping skills, and they can get pretty damn ridiculous. You know, once you start, if you grab two or three really powerful ones in a row, you can start having some insanely useful and powerful combos kicking off of your character uh, that can that can be quite fun to fuck around with. Um, and the cool thing is, is the difficulty usually ramps up quickly enough that what's overpowered in 30 seconds will be your death. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the game's got surprising depth. Uh, you know, along with the infinite combinations of power-ups, you know, to, that you use to watch your enemy or your your character ramp up into this killing machine. Um, you know, once you've got enough of that experience, you're unlocking other characters and play styles to play with. And I, I've only I've only three or four of the uh, characters deep, and they're all interesting, and they all kind of go into the um, the lore. You know, your first character is like kind of like a strand. Uh, you're all stranded on a spaceship, but he's like the classic stranded spaceman. He has right. the, the bubble commando. helmet, and and he has the you know, the laser blasters and the the dive roll. Um, you know, and the the next two uh, players that I unlocked was a beast. You're like a you're like a like a wild purple warthog style alien. Crazy, um, and so you, you not much more short short range and biting and clawing. And uh, the other character was like a cowboy, is like a short range blast, if I'm recalling correctly. But there is you know ten others or 12, uh, 12 total characters um, that ha all have their sort of unique play style. So the game really 
delivers on um, some variability there, some different experiences. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and it you know gives you a lot to look forward to because you are restarting the game often. You're dying at, you know, maybe five, ten minutes in pretty frequently, uh, and at least until you get into the groove of the first few characters. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to lots to aspire to in the game, uh, which, which feels even more more interesting because theoretically it's completely open-ended from the beginning right mm-hmm. um so that progression emerging out of sheer difficulty and and learning curve is is kind of neat it's kind of neat yeah yeah and the I, other, I, the other- I like the design element of a game that gets harder over time because it implies this like vice-like gameplay loop where you know the game is going to be random and get harder. The certainty is it's getting harder at every moment. Mm. Uh, you know, so it's this game that's going to slowly overpower you, which keeps that urgency up. Yeah, it keeps that urgency high. And what's also cool is there's a couch co-op mode in this guy. It is a wonderful couch co-op game. Tried it out with the wife. was very enjoyable. Obviously a very hard game, but it plays beautifully at couch co-op. So I'm always a big fan of couch co-op games. They um, That is a selling point above almost anything else in the world of, uh, of video games. So yeah, Risk of Rain is an easy win for me. Not super beginner friendly. <laughs> at all uh there is definitely a learning curve and a wall to bash your head against for a little while and i don't know that i would call it 420 friendly until you've really um taken some time with it and you know are comfortable with the losing loop you know it could possibly be frustrating if you just rolled in there a little stoned and and tried to 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 get the skill set under your belt from that perspective um but i definitely foresee it as a great smoke and play uh, game moving forward now that i now that i really feel um a little bit more in, in in tune with the game you know yeah i do and you know my final thought on that is like easy to overlook with such a great game that the music is beautiful and it's oh, that haunting, yeah. beautiful soundtrack. So, uh, you know, pleasure for the ear holes. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, I think we spoke recently <laughs> about the uh, the strange tendency I used to have about not listening to in-game music. Uh, this one would be a real crime to play with the volume off because it uh, it's, it's an auditory delight. That is the truth yes indeed high times wants you to know that there is only one true way to stop your joint from canoeing and uh, i thought this was a pretty cool article how to stop a joint from canoeing high five high times because this happens almost every time i smoke a joint um and you know here's the thing when you when you kind of take the uh when you take the bush league uh method of learning how to roll a joint which is to say from a, a bunch of assorted people in your life over the last 20 years that have taught you how to taught you how to spark up a Jeffrey taught you how to roll one. And, you know, everybody has their own assorted wisdom for how to get it right. And nobody rolls quite the same. Uh, High times has the definitive guide to stopping it from canoeing, which is to say a tight roll is always best. Anybody who goes with the old loose roll move is empirically thanks to the lovely folks over at high times. Incorrect. The airflow is all wrong, my man. The airflow is all wrong. Yeah. What? If if you got a loose joint, that air is moving through it in a weird way, like uh, like a, a, a column of air through like a, a wet bag. It's just, it's going weird. It's pushing things in weird spots. You're going to get a channel of air that burns hotter than the rest. And that that's where your canoe is going to happen. My I man. like that the science happened. A column of air through a wet bag bag was uh, either a very specific example or sheer nonsense 
I guess we'll never know. <laughs> um, but this makes sense because I have I have heard many times in the past that you don't want to pack the joint too tightly. You want to leave a little bit of room, uh, you know, a little bit of room in there. Um, otherwise, you know, your cherry will go out too quickly, whatever. Uh, and turns out that's just just not the case. So nice, tightly it's packed joint. It's not that your cherry will go out too quick. It's only too tight is if when you go to take a draw from it, you don't get an even draw. You should always get an even little bit of resistance draw, that satisfying pull. Mm -hmm. um, if it's too loose, you'll be inhaling the product and you're right, it'll be burning like crazy, canoeing and, and getting huge. Um, if it's too tight, you'll get nothing. Um, you know, but I find one of the best ways to avoid that is to not, if you, you know, you've blended up your weed too fine um the mix for the joint if, if you can't pull from it because it becomes uh you know almost into a solid when you when you roll it so you still want it to be in big enough pieces that it's kind of like an aggregate mm. yeah there is a, there's a real art to to the consistency of grinding for a joint you know you grind you grind for a, a pipe bowl and you know you've got a pretty wide margin of error. That being said, when you're grinding for a joint, if you want it to smoke well, definitely you got to take some care in there and make sure you got it to the right consistency. Um, and it's it, the thing about joints is it's kind of all touch and feel. You know, you kind of again you learn over time how to roll them in a way that kind of works best for you. For for me, for example, I roll backwards. It's real weird, but I keep the the sticky facing the opposite way that most folks do, and I kind of drape my tongue over the joint very gingerly give it a quick lick and, and roll it together. Um, that was a more disgusting description that I wanted to go with, but you know, nevertheless. Somebody jotted down the phrase, drape your tongue for their Harlequin romance. So, I mean, you've done some favors. Yeah, well, listen, uh, if you want to get at me on licensing that phrase, um, hit me up at drapethetongue.com. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the email address. <laughs> Don't put just, that. The, the email address the email is a address website. Is a <laughs> website address. We're next. We're doing. We're on the new new, bro. We're in the next gen. Get there. Get get there with us at nextgen.com. Um, stop it. Stop everything. <laughs> the, the 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 hashtag is an email address. The email address is a website. <laughs> Mail it to me at hashtag. This is enough. <laughs> oh jeez. Uh, I don't know. High time says roll it tight. That's that's about where I stopped because everything else was like, don't roll a joint in a windstorm. And you're like, hey, nice article. Good stuff. But the the I was glad that they solved the uh, rolling it tight debate in my mind. Maybe everybody else already knew. Um, what were you, what was this about Sony focus saying they're focusing more on first party titles? I think that this sounds like a victory, but maybe you can describe exactly what you read about it. Yeah, you know, there was a, a big restructure in Sony and there's like a lot of business jargon that my eyes glazed over for. They're realigning this synergistic approach. But um, what I uh, they did bottom line it for me and the bottom line is while the rest of the industry or at least big portions of it are going towards games as a service um, that unlimitedly sort of throw DLC and releases at you to sort of keep you in, in this one game for a long period of time, Sony's going to refocus on first-party, um, single-player-focused mm -hmm. stories, stories with bookends. Pretty um, great. What, like, bang the gong, right? Yeah, and man. We're, we're talking about titles like Uncharted or The Last of Us or Horizon Zero Dawn. Events Horizon Zero Dawn. Said it right. Unbroke my brain. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I and mean, then that means we can look forward to more games that are that are on the horizon, like Detroit Become Human or God of War or Death Stranding. Mm. If we ever get that, and if it's super weird, that's okay. I'm I'm cool with it. I haven't heard of Death Stranding, but it sounds fascinating. It's the new Kojima joint. He he, oh, he got out of the Metal yes. Gears and got into the the, the Death Stranding. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I'll have to look up some stuff on that later. But um, this is this is cool. Like to me, the games as a service thing actually works because I really I'm a fan of persistent content for for games. There's something really romantic in my mind to the notion of you know getting in bed with a game like Monster Hunter and playing it for a long period of time. Um, you know. Monster Hunter's kind of built that way, but other games that are air quotes game as a service, like for example, a destiny or even call of duty these days. Right. Um, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting model and, and one that kind of speaks to me because I like the idea of perennial progression in a game release. That being said, um, so many studios have shifted their focus in that direction that it's refreshing to know that Sony, who's done a fucking, I mean, listen, those, that's, a, that's a big line of heavy hitters right there on very satisfying story games, right? Um, Isn't that true? And, mm-hmm. But, I, and you know, these never-ending games are like communism. They sound good on paper, but when businesses have to roll them out, um, they always fall flat on their face. And I, don't, I, that's I wouldn't say always. Like, yeah, definitely like games don't, don't, you know, always, but they... It's such a big bar to keep up great content on this perpetual motion. And what I've noticed more and more with newer releases is it feels like delayed content, delayed gratification. You know, um, it feels like you get not enough with every installment. Um, and, you know, I guess that maybe I'm feeling those Destiny vibes still. Right. It's just like not quite enough. And, you know, I, I find many other models um, do it better than than some of these huge ones have. Like, um, there's a lot of free-to-play games like uh, Lord of the Rings Online that I think do, did a really good job. Um, but I've been let down with some of the more recent huge attempts to do it. Yeah, no, I, I, I get you. And I think that that's one of the dangers of doing content episodically. Like, really, when, mm-hmm. you, when you think about it, you can either release content for a game in one defined narrative grand arc, right? Or you can release the game in chunks that, air quotes, um, present the arc over a much longer extended time and unfortunately end up having to add in the margins um, with filler. It's almost like, I mean, I'm sure you've noticed how many TV shows are on Netflix as opposed to how many movies release, right? Um, Yes. And, you know, What's interesting, or at least movie epics, ones with great, you know, arcing um, storylines as opposed to uh, whatever, a a romantic comedy or something of that sort. But, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I tend to to gravitate more towards very strongly storied um, TV series or films. And what I'm finding is I've been really excited about TV series for a long while, you know, your Game of Thrones or um, uh, what's, what's another really great one I watched recently? Oh, it's skipping my mind. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't matter. The Good Place? 
Oh, that is one that I really enjoyed recently. However, the challenge is, is that I find myself falling out of love with TV shows much more quickly um, because what ends up happening is when you watch a focused movie that, that is taking you through the notes of, you know, bringing a story to its conclusion, right? You, you get that very full experience all in one sitting as opposed to episodic content. Let's now take it into the, the video game world. You end up having a series of much shallower gameplay um, situations or experiences that seem to never really, unless very masterfully done, culminate at a story that feels cohesive and big and like it had a big climax. Do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. And the, the comparison you draw between the ongoing game and the single player release uh, with movies and TVs is so, TV shows so apt. And because the movie for me is like the single player game in that, um, get me your ideas, say to me what you're trying to say, give me your story. It's, it is what it is. It's encapsulated. You touch on the themes and give the message that you want. You try to communicate something, some emotion, some art, and then you're in and you're out. And right. there's an honesty in that. It's, it, there's an honest experience there because there's no, um, or maybe I shouldn't say no because we we're into the you know the the never-ending superhero movie. Um, there's no conceit that says here's something and stick around if you want to see more. You know right. there is no Ross and Rachel will there they won't they for ten years and it can just get to it and tell you what it is and usually that means that it's that it's a you can be a, it has to be a little bit clear in what it's doing. And um, a little bit more direct. And, I, and yeah. that is refreshing. Not to say I want it all the time, but it's refreshing. No, no, I agree with you entirely. I agree with you entirely. And so, you know, hats off to Sony. Um, I think that knowing that they've had, I mean, listen, it's not hard to know that they've had a really strong run with first party games recently. Horizon Zero Dawn sold how many copies? Do you know? In the first year, they did uh, like 7.1. Huge for an initial uh, release of a intel an intellectual property is it actually um, seven point like you had that number handy seven point one? Uh, I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven point one million. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I I did some of the pre pro on, uh, on on this podcast. Look remember, at you. Remember how I just remember how I just make everything up. Sometimes Not I just uh, sometimes I just show up. I do a podcast. I don't know. This guy he's uh, fucking doing arithmetic over here. I don't know. I take a I take a thereabouts uh, approach, kind of a scattergun. You know, just try and get what you can get. I get in, I get out. It's like I go to the cannoli shop. I order cannoli. I come to podcast. You know, it is what Who it is. Who needs a scalpel? I got a friggin' stick of dynamite. Let's Who get needs it done a stick then. of dynamite when you got the strength of your own hands? That, that was like some John Muir style wisdom. Mm, John Muir. I don't know who that is. Um, battlefield leak. We sprung a leak, Captain. There are some Battlefield news out. That was an opportune time for, uh, for a bong hit there, my friend. <sighs> battlefield has leaked. It's one of the leakiest Battlefields ever. To be honest with you, yes, I really wish I could go uh, double down on this lemon uh, golden lemon situation, but I really don't want to taste the fiery uh, disappointment of this blunt rap again. I'm feeling bold, and where you have aired, I will take a giant risk because I know that you can keep this podcast afloat while I uh, while I really take. All right, really I tried it out deep. again. We're going deep here again. <laughs> you flipped the script. 
Oh, man. Whew. Oh, the flavor is just as bad as before. Oh. <laughs> it, didn't improve, it didn't improve being extinguished. And Ugh. I like how you went back. I went back to the well, Ugh, and it wasn't a nice How's well. the fire situation? Um, that one did not, did not, surprisingly did not conflagrate and threaten to take down my whole house. Um, if my insurance broker, if you're listening, that, that was not the sound of me igniting a blunt in my kitchen. Oh, yeah. This is all just uh, the magic of podcast. The magic of creating, podcasting. Creating some drama. Mm. So let's, let's, let's pour out the, this leak. I'll tell you what's leaked into the information bucket. You go ahead. I'll go and grab the Chinese chimes. Battlefield 5, as it's being called, and not the number 5, but the Roman numeral for 5. So maybe it's Battlefield V um, uh, has been leaked. And what they're up to is... Uh, what's leaked is the setting. They're bringing it back to the proven profitable World War II time frame. Oh, uh, we'll never get tired of World War II. I mean, I remember getting very tired of World War II themed video games back when the original Call of Duty came out. And then every other game after that for like 12 months was was uh, World War II themed. Remember that dark you've period? Taken a, you've taken a break from your... Uh, your old main squeeze World War Two, and the gloss and the jelly has gone back onto that donut, and you're ready to return to it and fire an M1 Garand uh, at the enemy. Oh, uh, the M1 uh, Garand! Way to victory. Oh God! Even the sound or the the word uh, M1 Garand being conjured in my ears makes my brain go to sleep. I mean, and no disrespect to the to the very um, real, very real, very important. War and service that our uh, that our forebears got up and and fought for, um, or fought in. But uh, but I just I don't want any more video game content set in that era. I have no interest in it. I I think there's a certain gravitas to like weight and drama to a, that game that's done well, and it's like a part a place in war where like war fair had changed into this thing that it had never been before. Right. Um, and will never be again. Like it, it bridges the gap between trench warfare and never again trench warfare. Right. Um, you know, and artillery changed the face of battle and then tanks. And so, you know, it, it has, has so many cool elements to it and it's grounded in real so you know it's gonna it, it has a certain balance to it because it, it has to abide by a set of rules. Now it is also a ton of fun to subvert that and go full Wolfenstein on on the World War uh, landscape. Yeah. But you know, there's an honesty there that makes makes these games fun. And it's like I asked the question about sports games. Uh, you know, how can you redo baseball and make it interesting? And uh, you know, with quite a lot of literal sarcasm in there. And I, and then I saw MLB The Show, and I go, oh, okay, actually, this is pretty cool. You mm -hmm. made baseball pretty cool and fun here. So, um, you know, maybe they can go back to the well and, and warm it up. Yeah, no, and I, and I hear what you're saying. And, you know, I'm sure sitting here making a blanket statement of I don't want to, I don't want to see that theme. I don't want to see that theme. I don't want to see that theme is, is shallow. It's a shallow statement for sure. And I'm sure that there is a world war two game out there that could captivate me and that could tell a very real story and a great story. Um, and make me want to get into that space. Uh, that being said, it's, it's a 
tough sell for me to sign on to that bandwagon because I just I see and feel the texture of World War II, and I've no doubt that there are many great stories that can be told there and great games that can be premised upon it. But in a world of infinite themes, that one being so prolific, that one being so gone to in the world of video games and and frankly every media, um, it just it's just such a fucking eye roll for me. Um, did you play the Call of Duty a World War II era release when it first came out and the mod uh, Day of Defeat? Yes, that's the f- play that? that's the first one that I'm speaking of. That was the uh, right. that was that era where everything came out World War II. And there was also yeah. a lot of Wolfenstein enemy territory played at that time because it was a a a free game and b a very good first person shooter that you could play online um, early two thousands and you know just I saw so much of that game that even the name Wolfenstein now though it has nothing to do with enemy territory enemy territory was just a you know a fucking deathmatch game um, even Wolfenstein now I just I have a fucking eye roll for listen to me right. curmudgeon it's, it's, curmudgeon it's Andy. It's worn every one of your nerves off. Well, I, you know, I played enough Call of Duty originally, you know, that I stepped away from the World War II scene as well. Um, but I played it so much that there's like German phrases that are in the game that like I can hear if I think about them real hard. Like, like, schnell, schnell, stommen, stommen sie noch stommergraden. You know, it's like, Steinhanden! <laughs> Just a, a German yelling grenade. You know, Steinhanden! That's amazing. Or this one from Wolfenstein. Octon. Just, just you know, never say you didn't learn something from video games. Uh, either, you know, a nice nice cultural history on, uh, on the German tongue or how to offend every German that listens to this podcast. L- listen, uh, the thing that I haven't got from any of these games that, that is really a crime because one of my favorite, um, you know, uh, turns of phrases is in uh, German and it's uh, how they say goodbye. It's such a beautiful um, phrase. It's off Wiedersehen. So it's off Wiedersehen. I learned that so from the sound of music. Say, just so, and I, I forget what it literally translates to, to but off Wiedersehen, it's, that's awesome. Off Wiedersehen yeah, you're too is hard fairly on formal in German. It is unlikely to be used between close friends and family members. It is usually used only with people one would address as C, not with those one would address as do. So to yes. they, it's a plural, it's a plural farewell. You would generally yes. say it to a group of people. Yes. Literally meaning until we see again. Mm, beautiful. So long, farewell, off with the same goodbye. You know what's, weird? what's crazy about that movie? Goodbye. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, what's, what, what's, what's crazy? crazy? What's crazy about it? So in the film, <clears throat> escaping the Nazis, they go across the Alps, right? Right. And, and the, the movie just plays this off as like where they need to go to, to get away and they'll be safe. From where they are, across the Alps, is Germany. Oh. So were they not thing. in Germany? No, they were in a different country that had just been invaded by the Germans and they were escaping. I are we, off the top are we of sure head. it wasn't like a, a remote German town? <sighs> I'm positive. I see. Gotcha. I think maybe holland but i could be wrong interesting Um, anyway so there's like a dark reality 
that like if you watch like 50 minutes after the end of Gone with the Wind, not Gone with the Wind, the, what is it? Hey, music. The sound, sound of music. Sound of music. There, it is. Sound of music. there we go. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's time for enough. We just saying goodbye so, if I'm being, totally, <laughs> I'm being totally honest. I think anyway, the, uh, yeah, go ahead. Anyway, uh, it's, it's not that notwithstanding. There's a, a dark future where 15 minutes after the film ends, they're like rounded up by like <laughs> a patrol. Really? And they're like, why did we cross the Alps? Heinrich, why don't you, you know geography? He's like, shrug. Oh. <laughs> can, 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 we, can we not end the fucking podcast on a terrible... Like you, you fucking... You and your bald curses and your sound of music capitulations i'm i'm just seeding this entire this entire endeavor with 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 these little seeds of doubt what happened to, what happened to dan or why where's why did, why did we get the the witch doctor in here you know it's he's gone he's gone he he had to listen about a board game crossover which is a cheat and a line but has no place on this podcast i just want and, to say and, a minute ago when i used the word capitulation it was very much the wrong usage of that word you know i respect you cleaning that up because you're a man that says so many words that you're just like i take your word for it for that yep okay i'll just take you at your word that when you do step off the beaten path it, it's good to clean it up because i'm like hmm that one and capitulation utter nonsense in that context <laughs> capitulation means to like give way or to admit or to yes you know uh, uh you know the act of surrendering or ceasing to resist an opponent or demand and what did you say uh I, to be truthful i'm just gonna i'm gonna plead the fifth nice that's i, I don't even know I, I, let me tell you what something i don't even know if plead the fifth is relevant there i'm canadian we don't even have a fifth amendment we do not have a fifth amendment There's a, we didn't amend anything we wrote a constitution um we right. didn't write a constitution. Uh, did we write a constitution there is a charter of rights and freedoms that's it canadian constitution right. is i don't know we have the constitution acts written in 1867 right, right. so we do have a constitution very good Yes, but I don't believe it delineates the the rights of people. I think it has some rules of governance in it. But this podcast gold will have to wait till our other sister podcast, the Purple Dungeon Civics Pool. <laughs> Purple Dungeon Civics. Well, on that note, uh, hey, hey, Ron. No, you really do have to check this podcast out. They they segued into some deep Canadian politics. And uh, that's what we like to tune in for. I mean, <laughs> I need to know those nuances. We're, that's going to come up later. We're I'll mention our, it uh, in an interview that I'm doing on NPR. Oh, God. We're arming our army of uh, Purple Dungeon Squid evangelists with very poor reasons <laughs> to come back to this show. Uh, listen, Lisa, they don't plead the fifth. They're Canadian. There you go. <laughs> I can't yeah, wait for all of the. Uh, I can't wait for all of the critical discussion on Reddit. That's going to be drumming up on the uh, on the comparative between fuck. Blah, blah, there goes my train of thought. <laughs> oh wow! Squid gets inky with some legislation. Squid is going deep. All right. Well, on that note. Listener questions or games you want us to play? PurpleDungeonSquid at gmail.com. Hit us up. Really? We're at the we're at the outro already? Oh no. <laughs> Guys, listen. Yeah. Whew. Definitely recommend this gold to a friend. Toss and, it over the know, fence. 
if you need me on your podcast, you can get me at dankdanpdsq at gmail. Why do you keep I dropping will, this fucking I'm, email? Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll jump ship for the right offer. Maybe for one episode. Maybe forever. We'll Buddy, see this up. is like we'll see this up. is like slithering through trench warfare together for many months. You know, we're two two hours and forty minutes deep into this podcast. We've had to claw and scratch our way through every minute of it. And at the end, you just breach my trust by throwing out your own personal email. There, you shoot me in the head just as we reach Andy, the sunset Andy, finish. This is not against anything against you. Like you're my Purdue, but I need to apply to a safety school. Like uh, University of Arizona, just in case, right? That makes perfect sense. That's really the only reasonable choice. Make sure so, you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time, uh, please, my friends, keep it dank. Welcome to the dank zone. Uh, I am high.